Welcome back to another episode of the Obvious Choice Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Miller. I run a real estate team here in Blaine that I cleverly named the Tyler Miller team. Just spent so many hours on that one. Um, I started this podcast because I just feel like I know a lot of amazing people in my life that, you know, that I would turn to for certain things or uh, that I, you know, identify as an obvious choice in my world and uh, wanted to share those people with all of you. So today I am joined by the one and only Eric Storman. And so Eric and I have known each other for, I don't know, what, like five, six years, somewhere in there? Well, we met when our kids were in daycare together. Yeah, so, stepping stones. Yep. And Cash was 10. Yep. So that has to be at least six years. Something like that. Right? And uh, I don't Eric, remember the day. There was I no... Know. There was no sun backlit Tyler or anything no, like that. I that know. I've got. We didn't like. And I have a good memory too, together. so you must have been really <laughs> nondescript. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, Eric also lives in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, has an amazing family. Um, always really active within the youth sports community. Um, Eric is one that shares a lot of just great things, kind of funny things on social media. We have a really similar personality. So I think we've been drawn together that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we see the world very similar, similarly, ugh, very much the same. Okay. That's a much easier way to say it. Um, That's interesting. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll find out that's mm-hmm. not the case during this podcast. Well, we've got some stuff in common, no yeah, doubt about it. I think, um, I don't know. I think you guys will see after uh, after this or during this podcast that he's a really interesting guy with a lot of cool knowledge, lots of cool life experiences. And I just thought it'd be good for him to come on here. Mainly, you know, let's talk about some of the youth sports stuff. He battled COVID, which I found fascinating. Obviously, you know. It was crazy because uh, it was pretty early on in like covid if i remember right it was uh, it was a year into it but like it still was kind of like i hadn't personally seen somebody mm-hmm. that i knew battle it like you had yeah they got well i think i brought it home for a lot of people who hadn't had an up close encounter with it right so, so and you and you guys your family is really good about you know sharing what was happening and so it was uh yeah it was just really interesting and um anyway so i thought we could talk about that a little bit for sure you have a lot of just cool things that you've done in your life already and uh, also have some some new and fun things happening with a magazine. Yeah. Blaine. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about the magazine. I'm, <clears throat> I'm super honored that you would have me on because, um, you know, well, first of all, I like the podcast. I like what you're doing. I think that's cool. And, you know, you've titled it the obvious choice because you've got people in your life who are, you know, something to you and maybe should be mm-hmm. that to other people. And you mm-hmm. want to share that. I do think there's a bit of an elephant in the room here because it's like, what am I the obvious choice for in your life? But, Something in you wanted to have me on. Exactly. So, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, do we address the elephant in the room and that I may not have this like uh, this this really concrete title or should we just should we just let it play out? And then maybe by the end of it, people are like, oh, that's why he wanted to have that dude on. And I maybe it doesn't need to be defined. Maybe I'm the first person to break yeah. like uh, podcast protocol here. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I do think that uh, there's there's definitely something to be said about that, that I think you're you are not specifically about one thing no which i'm definitely m- not which makes you interesting and, and fun and like and relatable because you know i think we try to on this podcast be like hey this person's really good at this one thing but everybody's got their things you're just somebody that is really you're not doing something for a motive 
You know, you're not doing something for, for better business. or worse. For better or worse, you're right. You're just you're just being who you are, and it's very unique, <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Um, um, well, I, I appreciate you recognizing that because I do think as I've gotten older, I've realized that probably is you know what my forte is going to be. And yeah. Just for, for the boys and girls at home listening, that's not necessarily a great way to make a living. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> And I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. Um, and I've given up a lot of probably, in hindsight, great opportunities to make a lot of money because I've always sought out maybe the adventure mm -hmm. or the story mm -hmm. or the joke. Yep. Um, I've done some things for a joke that probably cost me a lot of money even. <laughs> um, but, but it comes down to your value system. And, yeah, I have sort of patched together um, what I think is an interesting life. And if, if somebody like you says, I want to have you on this podcast, even though I don't know why the hell I want you on this podcast, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's like, right? yeah, oozing out of me a little bit. So, it is, for sure. um, and there are some things you can learn from kind of living this way, good and bad. Like I, yeah. I, I am an example of how not to do things in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I've had, I've had, uh, uh, I've had great opportunities. So, I mean, people, and, and this is something really unlikable about me, but, but, um, you know, people work really hard to have one crack, one mm -hmm. opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like the great Marshall Mathers said. And, seize every and, moment. Yep, and some people don't ever get that, and I've had so many. Yeah. And and some of them were just given to me sort of because I, you know, grew up semi-privileged. Some of them I sort of made for myself without realizing. Um, but I was also really willing to dismiss a lot of those. Yeah. And we can get into that, but it's job stuff, <clears throat> relationship stuff like that. But, yeah. I, but I've always kind of taken notes and learned from it, and I like to share what doesn't work? I think you learn a ton when things don't work. You learn when things work too. Yeah. I mean, because that's a blueprint. But um, yeah, I think that's probably that's. There's an interesting component to that. Right. People generally leave going. It's like dude's story. I know. How does he have a good Very, looking wife? How's he paying a, his that. bills? <laughs> like, did he really give Dr. Dre a hip hop hug? When did? How did that come to be? That's <laughs> all true. We don't want to bury the lead. No, I don't want to bury you, the. Yeah, when yeah, you yeah. sent me that, I was yeah. like, all right. Yeah, well, that was a teaser. <laughs> And that did happen. I gave Dr. Dre hip hop hug. He gave me one back. Just so you know, it wasn't a one way street. Because yeah. that would be, I think there's a lot of dudes who'd probably try to do that to Dr. Dre. Totally. Um, and when you say hip hop, hip hop hug, that's yeah, a bro hug. Like the bro hug, right? We used to call it a hip hop hug. I don't know. I mean, hip hop culture was when, when you know, I'm older than you. I'm yeah. 46 years old. Yeah. So um, hip hop culture came about when I was like in, I mean, really strong, like sixth or seventh grade, mm -hmm. right? DMC, Beastie Boys, mm -hmm. um, LL. All that stuff, and it yep. was like it was colorless. It was, it was like it had nothing to do. It was like it had nothing to do with you know economics. It was like it was just sweet. Yeah, we all wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. So you know, we called it a hip hop hug. Yeah, that's what it was called. And yeah. I think it's evolved, and um, it's more of the bro hug now. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bro hug. I, yeah. I, I think that's fine to call it that. But um, me and Brady, my team member, reenacted it about 10 minutes ago because I told him like yeah he hip hop hugged Dr. Dre mm -hmm. and he's like what's a hip hop hug I'm like what do you think it is and we both did the exact same motion I'm yeah, like yeah. that's gotta be yep. what it is that's exactly what it is okay so here's the story should we just get into that story yeah, like, get into doesn't, the story not, really it doesn't quick. have to be chronological yeah. nothing. it doesn't no. always have to be chronological I'm not a big fan of rules yeah <laughs> Okay. There's no rules here. We're yeah. good. Yeah. That's why you have an unobvious choice <laughs> yeah. on the obvious choice right. podcast. Um, You're obviously unobvious. I love it. So I'm working the door at a place called Katana on Sunset Boulevard. I'm 29, 30 years old. Okay. Okay. Somebody like you at 30 was already figuring stuff out. I was, I was, um, I was, you know, single. I was working the door. I was, I'd been playing poker for a living. Mm -hmm. Had some, did some 
real highs and real lows in poker. But I was working the door a couple nights a week at this place called Katana. It was like a Japanese um, sushi kind of restaurant, but it was high end and it was also like a club at night. Where was this? Right in Sunset Boulevard. Okay. Hollywood, in California. Hollywood. Okay. Yep. Yep. The Sunset Boulevard. Did you grow up out there? No. I'm from the West Metro. Okay. You just were out in Hollywood for a phase of your life? Yeah. I went out there to go to film school. Right. So I, I, went, I did undergrad and, yep. and I, I went to Madison. Yeah. Um, graduated with a political science degree and then went out east. And we can get into all that if you want to go down that road. But I ended up in LA. I went to film school. I decided I wanted to be Quentin Tarantino. I'd broken up with my girlfriend of seven years, which really I consider to be my first marriage. Yeah. Learned a lot, cut my teeth on, you know, what commitment is and all that. And it just fell apart. And um, I went out there to go to film school. And I, I very quickly learned that everybody teaching film school is this disgruntled ex like industry. That's what they call it out there. The industry, the industry, mm-hmm. Are you in the industry. Yeah. Everybody's in the industry. They're all, they're disgruntled ex, couldn't quite cut it. Yeah. Didn't make it, didn't make any money to start teaching, which, you know, I know there's a lot of people who teach who maybe would rather be doing but it was like it was just dialed up in a weird way out there and i was older than everybody too by yeah the way. like i was 27 28 when i enrolled just a one-year program yeah and i already had that like um what's the word kind of like uh pessimism mm, mm-hmm. about everything yeah. i was looking at it from a slightly young adult perspective you weren't, you weren't winning in any in, in life anymore i just was like i don't know i wasn't like naive you know, like, yeah. I think part of what they capitalize on when you get to college at 18 is you're still naive. You're invincible. You have a reverence for, for, for teachers and professors. And I'll be honest, I never had a lot of reverence for authority. Mm-hmm. My dad instilled that in me. Mm-hmm. Um, not, a, not a great quality to have. But um, by the time I was 28 or so. Bring the mic down a little bit. I want time. people that are watching to be able to see. There he is. Look at that guy. Sorry, for those of you tuning in on on Spotify or something. He had his mic kind of over his mouth. I want people to be able to see there you it. Go. There he is, the silver fox. Look at that baby. beard, yeah. Damn. Um, where was I? Yeah, that's a little, yeah. Where was I? You were talking about being in Sunset or on Sunset. You had just applied for. Yeah, oh, I'd lost reverence. So, so I was like this, I was in film school, and, I, and, and so I dropped out. Mm-hmm. I went for a year and didn't make it. Yeah. I didn't make it. I, I, I mean, I, can you swear on this podcast? Yeah. Kid, I was like, fuck this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was just like, eh-eh. Didn't like anything about it. Um, somewhat the, the Tarantino thing. I started like, I started like uh, looking around and just going, I'm not really like these people. Yeah. I thought that I'd find someone who was kind of like me, um, which I don't really like being around people like me. But I didn't see anything I recognized. Yeah. And so I was just like, I got really kind of detached from it all, and, and ended up dropping out and met a couple good friends and started partying pretty hard and, mm-hmm. and getting into the social scene and and. Um, you know, kind of trying to do stuff on the side. I just figured if I was going to be a writer, I should just start writing. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, you know. So is that why you initially went to film school, is you were going to be a writer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to be Quentin Tarantino, yeah. make films. Eventually. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman was a writer who did some really interesting films, like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, yep. um, Adaptation. Mm-hmm. If you've seen those movies, you know they're a little bit psychologically off. Yep. I like that. Yep. The idea that I could maybe fuck with people through, you know, writing. I mean, right. I like to be fucked with them when I watch a movie. I don't. Yeah. If I can predict it, I have no respect for you. Right. It's like I'm smarter than you. Yeah. So uh, did you like Shutter Island? I never saw that. Oh shit. Mm-mm. Go watch that. We we'll love that. When when is that from? <clears throat> uh, it's like maybe seven eight years ago. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. It's okay. really good. Okay. Why haven't I seen that? That one fucks with you, like in a good way. You well, probably... I will say this: when I left, I kind of got out of. I mean, I, okay. I kind of. 
Same thing happened after I left ESPN. I was like, I couldn't watch Sports Center for a while. I think yeah. it's like people who work at McDonald's. Right. They just don't eat that for until like they got to go seven years until your cells regenerate, and then you can you have like you're like what are a Big Mac sounds good. Big Mac sounds great. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think maybe I was just like, eh. and I've kind of gotten out on movies in general as I've gotten older a little yeah. bit. But but um, I'm taking the twisty scenic route here. Um. But I was just doing my thing, and I ended up, you know, playing poker for a living, and and dating, and and just enjoying the, you know, you know the the nightlife and all that stuff out there. And I took a job as as a door guy at this place, Katana. This place, Katana, was like a um, kind of a cool place. It was kind of trendy. Um, I had to wear a suit, and I had a walkie-talkie, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I didn't like telling people. Like, I just couldn't. I didn't, I'm not a door guy. Yeah. And I wanted everyone to know I'm not really a door guy. Yeah. Hey, you know, yeah, I'm the door guy. But I'm not really a door. Guy. Yeah. yeah. No, like I'm kind of a writer. I'm cool too, like you. Now you come on in. Yeah. Um, I'm one of you. But I make a few hundred dollars a night, right? And there was <clears throat> there was one end that was uh, the valet. Down the sidewalk was the concrete steps outside that kind of turned and went up to this huge outdoor concrete patio, mm-hmm. concrete railings. It was an old building. The very top of it, Adam Sandler had his offices, so he would come with his brother. Hmm. Um, they would come in, and I would let them in because I knew it was obvious. He wouldn't even go into the club. They were just going in. It was one of those buildings. It was just they had they had retrofit this sweet restaurant into this old building that had, like, offices upstairs. Like, nothing you see around here. Yeah. Just old. It was old Sunset Boulevard building. Yeah. And um, on this particular night, Lakers were in the playoffs, and, you know, it was whatever time. They must have finished their game and down at Staples, and... It was back in the Kobe days and when the Lakers had that run. Yeah. Late 2000s. So, you know, I think they won their three or whatever in a row was earlier. Mm-hmm. Shaq might have been gone. Must have been gone by okay. now. But Kobe was still there. Was, yep. They were in the playoffs. It was when, um, um, what's his name? The big dude. The tall dude. The really, Gasol? Yeah, Gasol. Gasol and his little buddy, that little Slavic friend of his, Vucevic yep. or whatever. Yep. They hung together all the time. They would yep. come to Katana. And... <clears throat> on this night, a, a stretch limo pulls up, okay? Stretch limo, Hummer limo. Mm. And out pops a crew of dudes or whatever, and one of them's in a Laker jersey, and they start making their way toward the door, and all of a sudden I hear my walkie-talkie crackle a little bit. It, remember, no jerseys, no jerseys. I'm like, okay, no problem. No problem. That's yeah. just a dress code or whatever. It's yeah. We're trying to be a fly place. Yeah. <clears throat> crew starts getting closer, and I'm like, oh, shit. That's Dr. Dre. The guy wearing the jersey? No. No. Right in front of the line. He's, of course, in front of the line. And then his bunch of his buddies or whatever. And it's ripped Dre. Like, remember, there was, like, chubby Dre, but then Dre Dre got ripped. Yep. He'd always wear this, like, tight blue kind of, like, navy blue shirt that just was like he just was wearing skin. Yeah. And it was ripped Dre wearing that blue shirt. And I was like, you know, I... I told you I've only been starstruck once in my life. Yeah. That wasn't it. I I wasn't starstruck, but I was like, damn, okay. This is him. This is that dude. This is that dude. He's this dude who found Eminem. Yeah. Like, that's where he's at. Yeah. <clears throat> and revolutionized a lot of what oh. you love with the hip-hop. Dude, scene. just whatever. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like kind of an icon and, and, and whatever. In the arts world, if you if, yeah. you if you ever wanted to be a writer or a musician or even a photographer or anything, like, that dude's the real deal. He's an artist, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But his buddy's got a Laker jersey on. We can't. We don't... <laughs> We can't allow jerseys in. So yeah. now I got to make this decision. Am I a bouncer guy? Which I'm not. Yeah. And I want to make sure everyone knows. And <clears throat> so I walkie-talkie. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, or whatever. So he's about to roll by me. I put my hand on his, you know, chest. <laughs> Stop right there, Dre. Yeah. That's what I'm, you know, I'm basically yeah, saying. Yeah. He's like, what's up, man? 
I'm like, we don't, we can't, we don't allow jerseys. And he's like, for real? I was like, yeah. He's like, we just came from the Lakers. I, I go, I know we don't, we don't allow Laker jerseys in there. It's just like a thing. I was like, can you have them just peel it off? Yeah. And when he gets in there, put it fucking back on. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I just, my boss is watching me down there. He looked down by the garage where we valet all the sweet cars and he's looking at me, you know, like a boss. Yep. Can we keep Eric? We got to fire Eric. What's his deal right. down there? Is he handling right. this? And I was like, he's like, whatever his buddy's name was, you know, Ty, whatever his name was. Yeah. Kick your jersey off. And he's like, for real? He's like, yeah, kick it off. They don't allow jerseys in here. Guy peels his jersey off. I go, thanks, man. He goes, <laughs> I leaned into it. Yeah. Hip hop hug. hug man. Went up to the restaurant and I was like, okay, mental diary entry. Yep. I just, That's a good night. I just hip hop hugged the king, the of, king of hip hop. That's All right. amazing. Yeah, I could probably move home now. Yeah. I think I moved home shortly after. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I never, it, I never made it. It doesn't get better than that, really. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, it's a great story. Yeah. That's what fantastic. it is. I, you know, at parties, I bring it up and stuff like that. So. I love it. I mean, and, you know, if you like stories, it's a great icebreaker, and mm-hmm. I may not ever have, you know, a house on a lake, but I've got that story to tell my kids, and they can tell their kids, and they're all true. Heck yeah. Because people start to look at me sideways, like, are you embellishing? No, I do not embellish those stories. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, well, that's one. That's why I do it, so I can tell the real stories. That's why we have adventures. That's one of many layers to Eric Storman. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, you know, maybe he rubs something off on me. I think when you hip-hop hug a legend or you meet somebody and you pull something from them in that moment and maybe you get a little confidence. Yeah. Um, I'm a big I'm a big um, proponent of, like, uh, this idea that little in-between things in life are maybe more important than the events circled on your calendar. Mm-hmm. Um and as we get into the COVID story, it's one of the things I really that really got fortified in my mind. Um, it's the mortar in between the bricks. Let's call yeah. it that, right? You've probably seen quotes about stuff like that. It's the spaces in between. Yeah. Right, Dave Matthews. Um, the it's spaces a great in be- song. Mm-hmm. The spaces between are are the ones that end up being the 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 big like sort of influences on mm-hmm. direction and and things you end up doing, and they're not planned. You might not even know them at the, you know, at the time. Right. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know if you're going to walk out this door right here and you're going to run into somebody who says something to you or asks you a question that reorients you into a direction or th- makes you think about something that changes the course of everything you do. And you might not know it at the time. You probably won't know it at the time. Yeah. But those moments aren't... That's why New Year's Eve never lives up to the hype, man. Yeah. It never does. It never does. No, it never does. Halloween parties never live up to the hype. They're fun, but they're hyped. Yep. It's an anticipation thing. That's where all that comes from. The reality is is, is just a random hip-hop hug makes you think about something, go, okay, the world's smaller than I thought. Yeah. It's smaller than I thought. It was a normal dude. Man, he was actually kind of cool to some clown like me at a door. I could be right. cool. I could be cool to people. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Maybe I'm inspired to write something, you know? Yeah. I did write a few hip-hop tunes in my day. Do you have them recorded? Uh, I never did record them because they were written kind of before it was easy to do that. Yeah. Um, nowadays, like, well, yeah. Well, shit, you could sure. just come, at, come on in here. We could lay down some yeah, beats, why baby. Not? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a real good flow, but I, I could write rhymes. Yeah. I could write rhymes. I wrote a rap about Google one time. About Google? But this is, I mean, it's outdated now. Or goggle? But, but like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Inside joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, before we get too far, let's go back a minute. Mm-hmm. I want people, like, tell a little bit about your family. 
Yeah. You mentioned you have a wife, obviously, yeah. and yeah. you have a couple kids. Well, it's something we have in common. We both have sexy wives. I mean, it's you yeah. can learn a lot by about a dude by his wife, for yeah. sure. Yeah, we all kicked our coverage, for mm-hmm. sure. So mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Buddy. Why else would you get married? I mean, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, so uh, your wife, Sarah, mm-hmm. Shorty, mm-hmm. as you call her. Mm-hmm. She's shorter what, what's than me. What's the, what is that, what is the... Same hip-hop culture. That's hip-hop culture. I always say Shorty does the fair every year. Yeah, Shorty. She's shorty. my Shorty. She's my Shorty. She's shorter than me. People always think she's going to be short when they... Do you say me. Shoddy? Or do you I say mean, it shorty? depends. depends if I've had a couple. <laughs> shoddy, where you at, Shoddy? Where you at, Shoddy? Shoddy, come down here, Shoddy. Because, <laughs> I mean, Whatever. That's, that's true hip-hop, right? She's that's tired of me, She doesn't show up when I call her. <laughs> she does. She's tired of me. I'm her second husband. Yeah. She's yeah, been down so this she road. had one kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Talon? Yeah, Talon. Talon yep, is... Eagle Talon, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um... With a previous husband, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you and her had cash and uh, and sailor. sailor, yeah, yep. Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I came back shortly after that hip hop story. I mm-hmm. just was like, um, one day I woke up, I looked around, I was 31, and I saw it writing on the wall. I wasn't really trying to do anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I had, I had decided at some point that like, I don't know, it's not really me. I read, I wrote a screenplay called mm-hmm. <laughs> called Stand the Man. Kind of didn't, I mean, I wrote a couple drafts, but didn't really try to sell it. And I was just partying too much, right? And I looked yeah. around, and there was, we had some neighbors that were, like, in their early 40s, and they were kind of oblivious to their age. Because out in L.A., man, it's one long summer day. And when you come from the Midwest, it's hard to measure time. You lose track of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't like losing track of stuff. Like, I like I like kind of being hyper-aware of everything. And, mm-hmm. and I was losing track. I could tell, like, okay, that's probably where I'm headed. Like, I had some cool ideas, but I wasn't really... I wasn't, I had a roommate, one of my roommates was a, he was a screenwriter and that's what yeah. he was doing. Like he was doing it every day. He's still, he's still making films. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, he was, he's still making films. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not dedicated like that. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm off. I'm doing other, I mean, my, my, my head's other places. So I came back. It was just time to come back. Yeah. One day I woke up, I left my flat screen. I left my bed and I packed my Dodge charger with rims. Nice. Were they spinners? They didn't spin. They shined. They're pretty sick, though. Yeah, they were all right. But <laughs> I mean, that's where my head was at. Think about that. <laughs> and uh, I, whatever I could fit in there, and I just drove back. Yeah. My buddy was having his wedding reception. He had gotten married in Italy. I didn't have enough money to go to the wedding, but he was having like a second reception ho- here at home. And he mm-hmm. was like my best friend, my mm-hmm. college roommate. And I was like, I got to be back for this. And so I just I moved home. Yeah. Left a note for my roommates and just was like, here's rent. Here's rent through the rest of whatever I owe. And yeah. I'm out of here. And I came back and I met Sarah shortly thereafter. How did you guys meet? Mutual friend, buddy's sister. Um, they were out. And I was staying with my buddy Jim. And we we uh, we were out. We were going out. Came back. I was living with him. We were partying. He was, he was an attorney. He was single, living in North Loop. Yeah. So we just went out. And I was obnoxious. I got I got drunk. She hated me. She hated me that first night. It's usually how it starts. Yep. We went out with him again the second night think i was funnier it was probably funnier yeah i was a little hungover. turned on the charm yeah yeah for sure and um she was cool like she thought she was hot stuff and i was like you're you know you're a you're six <laughs> and she you, was were like, neg- you were nagging her well i was just i don't i mean she thought she was really hot have you like, heard of nagging mm-mm. i never nagged but apparently no. it's a strategy where uh-uh. you like degrade cut them down to make them no, want you more honest. i don't know if that if that works but i was just cool. honest yeah I was just honest. Yeah. And uh, I didn't say it to be a dick. <clears throat> I think, we, well, I don't know how the conversation started, but I was just like, you're, I mean, like, you're probably like a six to me. Yeah. But I was like, you have to understand the context. I just came from L.A. 
True. Okay? The most beautiful girl in every town moves out there to be a model, to be an actress. I mean, a lot of them are whacked out. Yeah. Um, and that's gross. That's that devalues. You know, you can't have a relationship with them, but they're they're beautiful. They're right. stunning to look at. Right. And so, like, you know, I'm like, you're very pretty, but like, you're you know, you're like a six or yeah. whatever. And she just couldn't believe that some dude wasn't going bananas over her. And so, you know, I mean, I don't, you dated some pretty pretty good looking women in your day. I mean, if you don't fall over around them, they're interested as to why right. that, that jump starts. Yeah, it's... most people are intimidated by mm-hmm. beauty and, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. so I, like I say this all the time and I've been in a relationship now for, gosh, 2010 was our, when we got married. So well, you guys are, are sweethearts from thir- way back, yeah, right? 13 years married and we were together for eight years mm-hmm. before that. Mm-hmm. So what is that? 21 years we've been together. That's amazing. It's crazy. You're a young dude. Right. So over half my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never had a shot at, at this, but I in my brain, I just know, like, no one's talking to the pretty girl at the bar. Mm-hmm. They're always the most You figured that person. out on your own? Yes. You notice that? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like... Or if they do, it's it's uh, groveling. It's, it's a, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, goofy. Can I buy you a drink? It's goofy. Yeah. It's goofy. It's like, my buddy dared me, or... Right. Or... Like, you can't compose yourself. Some one-liner or something. You can't just go chill, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because guys are wired one way. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think if I wasn't in a relationship, I'd do pretty well. Because, not that I want to get out of a relationship. I'm just saying. I know the game mm-hmm. because most people aren't going to go mm-hmm. talk to these mm-hmm. these women. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, When it, you don't have any self belief or worth right like yeah i mean i think or yeah or maybe you just want the experience yeah like to me it was just like my mom was really pretty i i kind of knew really pretty women were like had a lot of flaws yeah they're flawed yeah like i'd seen you know whatever my mom's whole side of family they're kind of like these gypsy beautiful women i grew up they basically raised me yeah so i was always like okay yeah i know you're pretty but like you're flawed. Yeah, you're flawed. We're all flawed. We all have flaws. You're not. Inti- I'm not intimidated. Whether you're pretty or you look like us, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we yeah. got flaws. 100. percent 100. percent So, so Sarah didn't intimidate me, and I think that that was um, that was for her. She was like, she wanted to know more. Yeah, it was very intriguing. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think she ever. I still don't think she likes me. <laughs> she's still like playing the game. I don't think she likes me. I think she's intrigued by me. Yeah, I bring great value. Yeah, um, she had a son. Yep. She saw a dad, a potential dad. I was always good. You know, I was, I was, I was ready to kind of settle down. I had sold some oats. So I was very interested in like interacting with her son and he was cool. And mm-hmm. I had nephews and nieces already. And so like, it was pretty natural. I can remember being a kid. Yeah. It's not hard for me to remember being young. Yeah. Right. I, like I documented all that stuff while I lived it. Yeah. I was always mapping everything so I can, I can relate to kids. And so we had fun and you know, that was different too. I think dudes were like, interested in her but not this side baggage thing and i was always down with let's go let's all hang let's whatever let's play you didn't have any superheroes you didn't have any sports stuff i was like what's going on around here yeah got them that stuff and so well and that's something that i was i always think about but even you posted a picture i think yesterday or the day before of of sailor playing cash in basketball in your basement Mm -hmm, that was last night and you have like a like a pretty sweet looking like basketball court almost <laughs> it's, uh, made it's, out of your living room flooring in the, or yeah, the basement room flooring yeah, in the yeah. basement and that's like you are really good about like your kids will never be like oh yeah my dad never played with me or like or any of that like 
they just have i think any kid that would plump down in your family mm. if they're into sports for sure but like either way i think you guys just are always super like in touch with making sure they're having like the best opportunities and the best exposure yeah. to things yeah and it's really it's really cool um that you like do that like me my mind is like i'm not making my fucking basement uh Really? Basketball court. That surprises me. It needs me. to look beautiful. Really? That's what I think. Do you really? Um, that surprises me. Yeah, a little bit because, you know, that's just the way I was raised. Like, mm. things are nice and, like, yeah, we can have some fun things too, but the house is nice. So, like, I think that's probably pretty normal. I mean, it, it right. seems like you got a good balance. But I, you have a nice house. But you yours got... is really, it's just cool. Like, the, it's a different type of balance. Yours is solely focused on, or not solely, it's focused on, making sure that the kids have all these fun opportunities, which is awesome. Like, as a parent, you're just like, man, I'd love to have that for my kids, too. Interesting. You know, so. Interesting. I love that. I feel that way when I watch Bluey. Do you ever watch Bluey? Mm-mm. Oh, your kids are too old now. Mm-hmm. It's a cartoon. Mm. They're, it's like an Australian cartoon that's now become an American cartoon, but the parents are super involved. Yeah. Every time every time I watch them, I'm like, God, those cartoon parents are so involved <laughs> with their yeah. kids. Um, I do, I mean... It comes kind of naturally to me, I think, because I think I am a kid. I mean, I am a kid, so, you know, creating that kind of environment is just as much for me as for yeah. them. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get this like credit, like I'm like I'm so giving, well, right? But it, 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 I'm creating an environment I want to be in. Yeah. My wife would probably side with you a little bit more on that because we have but, a hoop up in our living. I mean, it our house is a bit of a playground. But yours, it still looks nice, I guess. I didn't mean it doesn't look nice. Like it looked. Well, I'm glad it looked great. I was like, an That's adult a could have idea. a good time there too. Yeah, seriously, it's a it's a fun because I think off in the background there was like. Was there like an arcade? arcade? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's retro arcade. Check them cool, out on Facebook. That cool dude does like those. that. There's 5,000 games on that machine. So one of my past clients had one of those. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Mm-hmm. I w- And actually, one of my business partners has one, too, and I would love to get one of those. You should. So maybe one day when I'm as cool as you, we'll have something like that. But like, it's... You don't believe that. <laughs> you know you're cooler. I know you I don't know, man. The, like, I'm saying you even have like the basketball court out in the, in the I think, in your backyard. Um I don't know. You just do a really good job. Yeah, I've done. I mean, I've, I've built kids. it with my hands, and we don't have. A, I mean, we're not a super wealthy family or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I you know, we both work, mm-hmm. work hard, and whatever. And what I, what does Sarah I, do again? She's a she works downtown for a financial investment firm. Okay. Um, she's you know the the basically the admin for a big wig. Okay. Coordinator of all those activities and stuff like yep. that. She's done that for years and years and years. Started at U.S. Bank and kind of worked her way around. Okay. Um, and I'm a you know I'm a contractor. I own a like a small contracting mm-hmm. firm, basically, or what do you want to call it, and, and do mostly barn restoration work. Yeah, I've seen some of those crazy videos it's, and pictures. It's art to me a little bit, um, but I, we also regular contracting stuff. I mean, the barn the barn stuff is big ticket items. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cut my teeth on that. My buddy Ryan Miller um, Sweet last was time. looking for a guy I had no experience. I mean, I was a I was a writer, wannabe writer. Right. Uh, I had a bunch of experience in media and marketing stuff. Sarah got pregnant with cash, and um, my friend Katie, her brother-in-law, needed a guy. Mm-hmm. And I was actually bartending at the time because I had I'd started this. I'd co-founded this company called Yokel Sports, and the idea was basically people would capture u- local high school or youth sports on their devices, mm-hmm. and uh, we would curate all the content. Okay, well, it was 2010, and this guy, Chris, and I, he was from New York, New Jersey, 
um, we started this this company here in Minneapolis with the idea that we'd be in these different cities, and it was a great idea. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was. It was it was taking everything I had done in sports. I worked for ESPN for a while. I worked in radio, and I had done some stuff. And he had done some stuff. Worked for an agency out in LA, and he he was kind of content guy. Liked the idea of producing movies and TV. And we kind of put our heads together, and we were creating this. It's called Yokel Sports, and it was going to be ultimately this curation of all this local stuff that people were capturing now. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, phones weren't really doing it like they are now. Yeah, and Instagram didn't even have video on its platform. Yeah. At all. Yep. And and so we what we did is we hired these like uh, we called them Yokel Army members. We were they were just young college kids, and we gave them flip cams. Flip cam was like a camera that had a red big red button, had a pop out USB, mm-hmm. um, whatever you want to call it. it wasn't even a cord. It just popped out, and and you could charge it. And you could capture sixty minutes of video. We bought a bunch of those for hundred bucks at Best Buy and sent them out to record high school games. They would come back, and we would dump this into a server, and I would edit highlights and then we produced a show for kstc on sunday nights or whatever mm-hmm. and we were raising money we had some seed money to start we were trying to raise money we had an office downtown and chris and i were kind of on different pages he wanted to produce this tv show which was costing about twelve thousand dollars a show with wow you know with with a camera guy and a sound and yeah. editing equipment <clears throat> and editing people and all the staff and all the time and our wages and all the stuff and and uh basically it just I wanted to go. Cloud wasn't a thing yet, but I knew I knew it was going to be like apps. It was gonna, it was going to be like it was it wasn't going to be in a TV show. That was just right. so old fashioned, and and we just kind of were splitting our our interests, and ultimately ran out of money. Yeah, ran out it's of money. Expensive man. Yeah, twelve grand a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we were hiring really good cinematographers, and we, we were we were I mean we were, we were all, we were over our skis, which I knew we would be. I mean that's just how most things are. You're doing a podcast. I mean, you're a little over your skis. Mm-hmm. You're figuring it out as you go, and that's mm-hmm. that's how everything is. You got to do it that way, it, or you don't ever start. Right. But we just ultimately it just kind of flamed. We did some cool stuff. We had an unbingable question, which was <laughs> Bing. It was supposed to be <laughs> ironic because Google was always bigger, but yeah. Bing was out. Yeah. I wish we would have called it an ungoogleable question because yeah. I don't know. People might have found it. Yeah. Just by whatever. It was just one of those things where I overthought it, but. It was just questions that you couldn't find the answer to by searching, and we'd go out and produce like a like a fifteen minute um, piece of content on YouTube. Put it on YouTube. What's so, an example of an unbingable question? Do cheerleaders matter? Oh, okay. Um, what does Google say about that? I don't know at the time. This is 2010, <laughs> 2011, right? I mean, it, nothing. It, it was yeah. kind of before Quora too. Like you know, like yeah. those are those are more questions that are human answered, and so we were just it was just supposed to be funny content. You can still find the unbingable question. I'm gonna, Go look I'm it gonna up. Look it up for sure. Um, one of them is why is John Bryant on my big gulp? So my 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 college roommate and <laughs> best friend from high school played for the Badgers and played on that Final Four team. When and when he was like thirty, he would have been thirty three, thirty four at the time. He got contacted by Seven Eleven to see if he would release his rights to be on a like a big gulp cup around the around March Madness. Yeah. And so they released all these cups. There was four former NCAA tournament stars. That ended up on these cups. Yeah. So we went and bought a bunch of them, and obviously I still have them because it's like you know it's my yeah, best friend really on a cool. cup. But we did a we did a segment on why was he on my cup and um, hired this guy Scott Schneeweiss, who's hilarious. He was like he was our MC and he did these. So these things still exist, but ultimately this thing failed. Okay, that's that was where I was getting to. Yeah. And so I needed money. Sarah was pregnant, and so yeah. I ended up uh, bartending, which 
was hard for me a little bit because I felt like I was going backwards. I'd done that when I was young. Right. Um, but I then, bet you're really good at that, though, to be honest. I mean, I, I probably could be, but anybody could be. You just It's like anything else. If, you, if you're not into it. But I feel like you just, you have the personality a little bit for it. I can see I'd you being like it. over it, though. Yeah. I'd outgrown it, man. Yeah. I was, I was, I was 35 years old. Yeah. Like, I think we all have a timeline in our head for stuff. It's past the time. In yeah. my head. Yeah, I agree. I'd left LA because I was ready to be a grown up. Yep. And, and I didn't feel like I was. There's nothing against that profession. No. You can make a great living doing it. I just, in my head, had moved past it. And so I was going back. It was like retrograde motion or whatever. And so um, when my friend Katie was like, my, my, my brother-in-law needs a dude. I was like, well. I'm a dude. I, my dad was a psychologist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a dude. Some people think. Some don't. Um, my dad was a psychologist. Didn't teach me how to build anything. Yeah. We didn't hunt or fish. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about reverse psychology growing up or, you know, we observed human behavior together yeah, at, people Bro- at Brookdale. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I can, I can just promise from this. I'm a grown up. Mm-hmm. I'll show up. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And he was restoring old barns and, you know, paid the bills while Sarah was pregnant and cash yeah. was born. And, and so I started to realize that I could, I could like, I could like barf up some of this art doing some of this stuff. Yeah. So we've done some cool things. We've restored old buildings and turned them into venues. Uh, yeah. We've restored, you know, family barns on property that they, w- they weren't using anymore. And now it's a destination and yeah. turned them into livable spaces. And I learned everything you can learn about contracting and, and, and all these, you know, the, the finer points. And I, I mean, there's something really beautiful and artistic about construction. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like I was scratching that itch. Mm-hmm. And so I still do it. I mean, I still do it. Um, the barn work is probably not as often as just the contracting stuff. Yeah. Um, so you, like, help people with, like, yeah, bathrooms, well, re- yeah, basements? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, anything. Bathrooms, like, you get it deeper into it. Mostly it's, like, bigger ticket stuff. What's like the f- company name? Ernie. Ernie, mm-hmm. just Ernie, can, Ernie, Ernie Company, yeah, Ernie Company. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so if someone um, bings that, they'll find. Yeah, Ernie. I don't have a website. It's all Instagram, but Ernie is not. I mean, it's, I always say it's not a name; it's a mindset. Just being earnest and honest. I mean, that con- that, oh, okay. that 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 line of work is filled with so many shysters mm-hmm. and so many um, just like you know Johnny Come Latelys or Pay Me Now or Pay Me First, then I'll get to it when I get. It. It's just yeah. that, that I just like I try to bring this same sincerity to the to the conversation yeah. and then the work. And, um, I work with Ryan still on projects. I have another friend, Kevin Kostrak, who is a partner in this magazine that I'm launching. Mm-hmm. Um, Kostrak construction. He's as good as anybody I've ever met at this. I mean, his attention to detail is exactly mm-hmm. one of the, one of the first guys I've met who are kind of on the same level in terms of, um, the earnestness that yeah. we want to bring to it. Yeah. And so it's more um, of an art than a job. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's money to be made doing that. <clears throat> and, and so, um, yeah, that's 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 how I paid the bills, you know, yeah. for for cash and then sailor and for what we do and but I build a lot of the stuff myself at the yeah. house because, you know, A I know how to do it. B I like to put a little stamp on it. Yeah. My own little stamp. I don't like I can't stand clichés. I can't stand doing stuff that everybody else has yeah. or has done. Um and so I like to I like to put a little like one-off flair mm-hmm. um to it and so you know, it's been cool. It's been cool learning that stuff and being able to do that. Well, and anytime I've seen any of your stuff, it, you do damn good work. Thank you. So thank you. Um, so I don't want to forget to come back to. I mean, a sailor's incredibly talented, but Cash mm-hmm. is—he uh, might be professional someday. Um, dude is 
incredible at every sport he's ever played from what I can see. And I've, I've seen him in person do it multiple times. So it's got to be super fun. And I know you're really passionate about the, you know, youth sports, the coaching, all that stuff. Sure. So I want to come back to that. Mm-hmm. But I do really quick want to go down the COVID path because mm-hmm. I'm just genuinely curious. Well, let's not about do anything that. quick. I mean, I, I'm sure you're on a timeline, but like, you know, that's what I like about these podcasts yeah. is like, I don't have to rush or anything. Yeah. Um, but like, okay, so let's set the scene, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So you were, this was a couple years ago now? 20, 2021, December of 2021. How old were you at this point? I would have been hmm, 40, 44. 44. Mm-hmm. Pretty healthy for the most part, like in your in your life? or Yeah, you? I think so. I mean, yeah. I you know, I, I think by almost any definition, I'd be a pretty healthy, I mean, just by virtue of working with my hands, yeah. like going up and down ladders and scaffolding and, you know, I've done little things to make sure I'm not in atrocious shape. Like, you know, I've, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, three day fast or four day fast, things yeah. like that, that I've done that, you know, I've, I'm always kind of taking inventory of where I'm at. I mean, I could be in better shape, of course. Like I bet you if yeah. you did my BMI or something, it would we be, all could. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, like I, was, I wasn't yeah. not always sick. Right? No, not sick at all. And also not somebody who takes stuff. Like I, you know, I, I have my grandma's, my grandma in, in, in sort of like, uh, imprinted in me this like organic, um, sense of the world, not, not just in a food sense or whatever, but like in a, don't pump yourself full of pills, not Tylenol even. Right. Like you, stuff's got its place, but like be, be, be sort of, you know, conscientious. Yeah. Um, be, be, be conscious of what you eat, be, um, be aware. And so like, you know, like I, I was a dude who like, yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not propped up by a bunch of medicine no. or pills or anything like that. And, and, uh, you know, when COVID hit, <clears throat> I became pretty quickly like a, one of those guys on Facebook um, who, how do I say this in a way that's appropriate? I was just one of those guys who felt like I wanted to share my my suspicions about it. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't buy into the narrative, okay? Um I just didn't buy into the narrative and, and I was, I was willing to be really vocal about what I thought was maybe some, some overzealous reporting or like some hype, yeah. some fear mongering. Yep. And a lot of people felt that way. We're all feeling that. A but lot a lot of, of but, but not a lot of people were sharing it because Correct. it, you know, it was super hot, super hot topic. Yeah. But it was kind of what, you know, this is like, you know, Trump came along in 2016 and everything got real intense online. Yeah. Up until that point, like you could kind of joke still about stuff, or you could you could voice your opinion, and it didn't make you the enemy. Right. Um, after after you know, Trump divided us, mm-hmm. divided us in 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 a really intense way, and so not a lot of people were sharing their 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 thoughts on COVID one way or another. It was right. just like you you had to you had to know that you were going to get pushback, or maybe lose friends, or start a conversation, or you know, if you had a line of work where your reputation is is accessible let's say you know you're you're a quasi public figure in this town like it doesn't do you any good to share your thoughts on some of the stuff one way or another no. it's it's a it's a death sentence maybe i've joked with my team i'm like we should all just get a burner account like you know cuz it got it gets heated during election times mm-hmm. and all that stuff and mm-hmm. you know i'll see some of my team members they'll share something and i'm like i'll message them and be like you should probably just take that one down. And mm-hmm. if you really want to share your opinion, you need to probably do it on a different account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's it's it's, it's, it's um good. yeah it's and it's true. It's it's a fact. It's not 
there was a time when it was kind of trivial or funny. And if somebody who liked to push the envelope a little bit, there, there are things that I would have posted 10 years ago or have posted that they oh. don't fit in today's world at all. Oh, yeah. I, I hosted I, a radio show, dude, when I was 26 years old. If the copies of those radio shows existed, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I would, I would have friends that wouldn't. I was trying to be Howard Stern. Yeah. That's what I thought was cool. Yep. That's what I thought was going to be my ticket in that space. Yep. That 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 stuff doesn't. The world has changed very quickly. Oh, it doesn't. There's Even no. Even from when I was growing up, like I mean, the stuff we used to say, and I mean, I look back at some of the posts I made early on on social media, and luckily there was no like photos. It was just like Tyler, what's on your mind? And mm -hmm. I would say something stupid, and mm -hmm. I was like, man, it's hard to remember what that culture was like or, yeah. or the, what the world was like because it's it it's 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 changed so much. And it's so obvious now that this stuff is for everybody to to access and ingest and then get back at you. And the consequences are so obvious. It was not that obvious when this stuff was no. new. No. It, it's it, Our brains didn't understand the reach that it would have or the shelf life it would have. And there was even though you were sharing something on a on a public platform, it still kind of felt like it was just going to your friends. It really did. And right. it, it felt like, oh, the, well, they know the whole picture of me. So the context is always intact. Right. Context is not intact when something goes beyond your circle of friends, beyond that wall. Right. And so you look back on that, and it seems ridiculous if you haven't deleted already. I mean, more power to anybody who's left it up there, warts <laughs> and all. But, I mean, the reality is, is and no, nobody's going to give you that leash anymore either. No. They're going to judge you by today's standards. So, so people weren't sharing much about – I mean, I shouldn't say people. I mean – I, I had friends who were talking to me about it. I would get a ton of private messages, and, and, and let's just let's, let's just like be clear about what I was saying. I was basically saying, I was never saying COVID wasn't real because mm -hmm. I think people afterwards would came up to me and they would say it seems pretty real now, huh, right. Mister? Right, Mister yeah. GoFundMe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I never thought it wasn't real. I just was I was able to kind of tell that this this felt like very obvious to me that there was something inorganic about this process mm -hmm. okay um it was very obvious to me that there was like a narrative there was there was there was another agenda going it was on. very political it was so political so and the origins to me were up for debate but you couldn't say they were up for debate you couldn't say well maybe this was cooked in a lab it's like no that that put you in a certain camp right who are you and and then that evolved into sort of the vaccine. It was like, where do you stand in the vaccine? You got to if you stand here, you're good. If you stand here, you're a demon. And 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 so I was I was just of the camp that like it felt like there was an agenda, and so I voiced all that. Yep. Um, well, lo and behold, you know, Mister Vocal <laughs> got got COVID. Yep. And. Um, and do you know where, when, how? There's no way. Up? There's no. There's no way to know that. I mean, um, you know, I was not vaccinated. Yeah. Um, my my wife was. My 17 year old son, 14 at the time, was, um, and I was not. And that was a decision I made um, for you know. I, and I I'd be happy to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, to be honest, he's sort of one of the key ingredients to mm -hmm. baking any kind of decent cake. So I'd be happy to talk about that, but it's one of those things that people, it's not, I don't know, most people don't want to hear about it. They don't really care anymore. I mean, it's yeah. just one of those things, but I was not vaccinated. And, you know, to me, it was like, if I get it, I get it. It's clearly something serious. Um, but you look around and it's like, for the most part, people, even my friends who had had it, it was like 10 days of discomfort, right? two weeks of kind of like 
gnarly cold-like symptoms. Maybe. It wasn't even that bad. It, it varied. You'd yeah. see stories of people. You know, I think at that point, Joe Rogan had had it and mm-hmm. used ivermectin, and it lasted two days. And so there was a lot of ambiguity about what it was, what it was going to do to you, did, why it was going to do what it did to you based on your body type, based on yep, your, your blood age. type, your age, all this stuff. It was just... But then you still didn't know. Like there was so much disinformation or misinformation that it was like, geez, I, I, I don't know. I almost just have to get it to find out. And yep. um, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Eve, twenty twenty one, I was like, I was supposed to go and I was building out my sister's restaurant. My sister's got a bunch of cool restaurants in Stillwater, and uh, we were building out uh, this cool nineties organic fusion bar mm-hmm. with a 90s nod and we were toward the end of it um it's called the wild hair if i can do a plug yeah um and we were do- toward the end of it and i was going to go in that day and finish some stuff up because obviously you'd be off for a couple days at christmas and i just had this like weird pain in my ribs and i was like man i don't feel good and i i was like i gotta go in i gotta go in and i, I got about halfway there and i turned around and came home and i was like i feel like shit hmm. it's like enough and i get older you feel like shit a lot i mean yeah. but you just grind through it especially right. when you're in a labor intensive type of job totally i felt like too too much shit to go into work and um came home rested got a burst of energy but then back down tested didn't have covid and um my mom, who was still alive at the time, and my dad, we decided to kind of, and Sarah's parents, who I'm really close with, decided we wouldn't have anybody over. Um, and then I tested positive, and Sarah tested positive, and the kids tested positive, and Sarah was down and out, and, and you know, with, this, with the cold-like symptoms, my kids never showed anything, and I was just kind of on the couch and feeling really shitty. And talking to my friends, and they were like, yeah, it's going to last two weeks. And I was like, geez, this is, this is actually, this is brutal. Like, yeah. it's like the flu. It's like the flu, but it's like kind of hurts. Yeah. And, and um, that was like 25th, 26th. Um, when you say hurts, was it like your yeah, chest? Yeah, my, my ribs, oh, sorry, my ribs hurt. Like, I was in physical pain. Like, yeah. okay. I was like, fuck, this is like a real thing. I got really sick. I was laying on the couch and I was like, okay, damn, you know, like, whew. yeah, ribs but, hurt. But yeah, my ribs Long hurt. Time. I was sick. And, you know, it was all the, all the worst symptoms my friends told me I was going to have. And I was like, geez, I got to, I got to manage this for 10 or 12 days. Wow. That's a, that's a marathon. Like, you know, like it's an endurance battle right there. And, and Sarah was sick. And so we have kids, you know, we have young kids at the time. I mean, so they're 10 and seven now. So you're talking eight and five or whatever. And, um, of course, Christmas is now ruined, which is as a parent, there's always a little bit of guilt there. And I, I, you know, my parents, obviously I couldn't see them. We did, we did a zoom gift opening, um, or whatever. And now it's 27th, 28th and I'm getting worse. Like my wife's sort of stabilized. Um, my kids aren't showing any symptoms and like, I'm getting worse. And, um, um, on the 28th, my oxygen levels are low. My wife's in constant contact with her roommate from school, from college, about that. And there's some concern about my oxygen levels. Um, they're doing the little finger thing, and they're they're in the low 90s, and they're in the 80s. You were at home when they were testing I was, this? I was at home. I was at home. And I'm um, not sleeping. I'm delirious. And we started, like, looking around for, like, um, some of the... Some of the um, black market stuff, if you want to call it that. Yep. Um, the Joe Rogan stuff. Yeah. Um, I had gone, and, and the timeline's a little murky in my head. It's been a while since I've talked about this, and it, 
it's also such a blur in my head because oh, of because yeah. of the state I was in, but also the the circumstances. And I went to the emergency room, and at this point, I think this must have been like the twenty seventh or something because it was getting bad and they wanted to make sure I didn't, my, my wife and her friend basically said, make sure he doesn't have pneumonia. Yeah. So I went in and waited in what was like the worst waiting room experience of my life. Like I could barely keep my head up. Mm. Um, at one point I think they put me in a wheelchair and I was like holding back throw up, but they, they went in and they did x-rays and, and uh, it, it, they basically said, you don't have pneumonia yet. You know, X, Y, Z things you're, you're very sick. Um, they criticized me for not getting vaccinated. And I remember thinking, okay. Yeah, yeah I, was just, I just remember thinking, I was too sick to like be mad, but I was like, oh, crap. And, and, I, and I, I, I felt, I kind of felt their frustration, though. Like these, these waiting rooms were full. They didn't know what the reality was. They, they, they knew that they had powers that be were telling them. The powers that be were telling them if everyone was vaccinated, you would not be in the situation. And they're exhausted. They're working around the clock. And all their reward is for getting somebody better or out of there is another person just as sick. They're right. they're they're on a they're on a gerbil wheel of just, you know, no thanks and just yeah sick people. And there's also it's time. politically charged. And so yeah, I, I just can I can only imagine that they were in like just an absolute fractured state of mind. And so I, I wasn't. I remember thinking, geez, that's a hell of a thing to say to somebody who's really sick. Um, but I don't really have the energy to like battle it. And I normally have the energy to battle anybody on yeah. anything at yeah. any time. Um, they sent me home and um, basically just said, you know, rest and, you know, I think, you know, Advil or whatever. And I got progressively worse. And my mom who had, you know, she had some health problems her whole life and had had a couple kidney transplants. She had, when she was eight years old, she had crawled into her mom's room and basically complained of kidney pain and, she had a, a kidney um, a kidney disease of some kind. They don't know what caused it. They never figured out exactly what caused it. Maybe strep, maybe some carbon monoxide poisoning. They never figured it out, but it, be it became this ongoing health issue her whole life. Huh. And she ended up um, having two transplants. Those kidneys failed. She was on dialysis for 17 years, 18 years. Um, she was young, um, you know, still, relatively speaking. I mean, my mom was pregnant with me when she was a teenager and had me when she was 20. So she would have only been 64 at this time, but she went to the doctor with some fluid on her lungs and died, died um, at dialysis without them knowing, just her eyes closed. And if you know anything about dialysis, people on kidney dialysis, she was waiting for a kidney, which she was never going to get. We didn't really acknowledge that, but 18 years on dialysis, she just wasn't a good candidate anymore. Hmm. And, and, um, so at the actual facility, she died at the dialysis facility and she, she had had surgery in October basically to fortify her spine because one of the things dialysis, um, being on dialysis does and the lack of nutrients and all the other stuff is you have like bone density, um, degradation or whatever. And so she was starting to lose bone density in her spine and they had to like fortify it. And so she was in a halo and, and the last couple months of her life were brutal and she was a very proud woman. And, and so she wouldn't even see anybody, um, during this whole process, but she was just kind of starting to turn the corner because she, you know, maybe was going to get that halo off in January and she got sick, some fluid in her lungs. She didn't want to go to the doctor. She'd been in and out of hospital. She her and my dad were very much like, if we can just tough this out and not go spend the night in the hospital, let's do it. And so they probably should have gone in. Mm -hmm. She went to dialysis. She died. Well, I got that news when I was like really sick and said mm -hmm. goodbye to her. 
Um, she was basically brain dead and on life support and I couldn't go see her. Hmm. My brother and sister were there and my dad was there and they put the phone up to her and I basically just said goodbye to her. Um, and I was really close with my mom. Um, I was the first born. Like I said, she, she, she had me when she was 20. Mm-hmm. My dad traveled quite a bit. Yeah. We, we just formed one of those, you know, mother son bonds where I helped her grow up. Yeah. I was like, I would see things that she was really naive um, being sick growing up, she was kept from a lot of things, and so she just the, her mom kept her in a bubble. Yeah. And so by the time I was six, I was like explaining to her stuff that she didn't see, and so she began to lean on me for for stuff and trusted me for stuff, and that was just that kind of relationship. And so, you know, they think her dying and me being in that state probably slammed my nervous system, and so everything spiraled after for that. Sure. I don't remember feeling overly like devastated. Um, Sarah would probably tell you something different, but but um, they think it's it had a, like a physiological effect or whatever you want to call it on my body in that state, um, and like anything else, if you if you if you get something dramatic or traumatic done when you're already in a in a debilitated or vulnerable state, that's why you don't let somebody go back in with CTE or a concussion and play and get a second concussion. The right. effects of that second concussion when you're already in a concussed state is like 10 times worse right. than the first concussion because you're you're adding trauma to somebody in a vulnerable state. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I say this all the time because I see I used to work at Walgreens, <clears throat> so I would see lots of elderly people coming in and some would be really really old and some would be very youthful and you know, have lots of energy, but, you know, and, and I've talked to a lot of them and I would always be like, I was just genuinely curious, like, what's, what's the key to how, how you are. And the thing I found is that I feel like almost everybody that was like youthful or in good health, um, they were not like fully retired. You know, they were always like doing something. They always had something that Mm -hmm. they were excited about. And then you talk to somebody who's like 60 years old and literally looks like they're 90. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, I'm retired. I don't do much. And, and, and so not that you didn't have anything to live for anymore, but you, you know, part of your subconscious may have been battling through this because you wanted to make sure that you can see your mom. And then all of a sudden that happens. And a part of you was just like, well, I don't have that to fight for anymore. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, and I, and I think it might've been even beyond the psychological. I think some things happen on a cellular level that mm-hmm. we, we'd love to be able to articulate because we're humans and we want to explain everything. Like that connection, that the energy connection. You I don't know. Had. I don't, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, but it, 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 they think it just slammed my nervous system essentially. And, um, I, ba- I basically spiraled and in my oxygen levels dipped. The, I had pneumonia. Um, we had called to try to get some uh, monoclonal antibodies. So some ladies came and gave me that, but it was kind of too late. And so Sarah basically called uh, 911 and the ambulance took me away. And so when you're in this state, like what, what happened? Like, so you're laying there and do you just, do you like pass out or like what, like what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm barely conscious. I'm and barely it, conscious at home. Tired or like, yeah. Like, like, is your brain active and your body's just like not, not able to do? What yeah, you it's want like being do. it's like being drunk, kind of like incapacitated. Um, huh. But I'm also somebody who's always taking inventory, so I, I have memory of being in that state. Like I, I just am always. I'm, this is my personality is always mapping situations. That's me too. And and so like I was I was. I was cognizant of the of the degree of it. I can remember the the the, the EM 
you know, the EMTs or whatever, um, yeah. what you call them, first responders, or whoever yeah. shows up in the ambulance. I remember them walking me down the stairs, probably was cracking some sarcastic jokes because that's just the icebreaker. Um, I was a little detached from how serious it was. Sarah knew because she had been in touch with her friend and was was monitoring the numbers. Um, I remember the ride to the hospital in the back of the yard, feeling kind of like, okay, this is good, you know, because they're, you know, they're here to take care of me. Yeah. Um, but I was also scared. I mean, I was, I was like, and I was also like, it was, this is ironic. I was this vocal, Mm -hmm. I can remember saying I will die on this hill in text messages to buddies who were on the other side of the coin saying, I'm willing to die on this hill. Yep. And um, remember thinking, oh, shit, okay, I'm going to die on this hill. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, does that make me a martyr? Is that a good thing? I don't I don't really know. Um, no, but I, I, it is unique because, like you said, not many people were speaking out, and there was consistent posts or just things mm-hmm. from you over that time. I do remember seeing, mm-hmm. seeing those things, and I happen to lean more so the way that you do. Uh, with that topic so I I liked seeing those things because not many people were saying right. like every other thing on the news was the opposite right. and uh, so yeah it is interesting that somebody that um, was so outspoken mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. now got what he in deserved the, in, the, in the back of the ambulance got what he deserved man <laughs> hey and you know there's unfortunately it's sad that pe- some people probably said that of course of course of course okay. um, and they should they have that right um Basically, what happened is I had severe pneumonia, and I was I was spiraling down. And they put me into um, not the intensive care. What's the one right before that? Um, now there's a term for it. It's not the ICUs. It's 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 it's. I should look it up just for the sake of being credible. But it was it was a step before that. I wasn't an ICU. It was they they basically had to. Um, you know, create an environment where they could they could reduce any stress. I was on oxygen, mm-hmm. okay, heated oxygen, heated flow. They called it um, because I, I couldn't, I wasn't getting enough oxygen breathing on my own. Um, How come heated? So your body doesn't have to change the temperature of it. Oh, okay. Just keep, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's a great no, question. No stress at all, like not even body yep. inner body stress. Yep. Just. So think about that from you know. Think about that in real logical terms, right? Yeah. When you're when you're when you're in a situation where you're really sick or your life's in jeopardy, something that small makes the difference in your recovery because you're not you're not relying on the body to do it. So anything you take away from the body having to do on its own allows the body to focus on survival. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. It's not more complex than that. Now it's way more complex when you get into the science of it, of course. Right. But that's it in a nutshell. And so that's why they create a, an environment with low stimulation, right? Comfortable temperatures. Don't eat much. Make sure you get the, the, the hydration and some some basic nutrients. But the idea is we're gonna give your body every chance possible to win. To focus on to win one this. thing. Yeah. Yeah. To keep which is what your body wants to do. That's right. the instinct, okay? Which Okay, so so now, and I'm taking inventory, like right. I'm the dude on a flight. Um, I'm the dude on a flight when we hit turbulence. I just look at the flight attendants. Me too. Because it's like, okay, this is their this is their thing. Oh, they strapped themselves in and they're they're calling their loved ones. That's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. So I I take inventory like that. That's so funny you say that. I literally like say that to my wife because she doesn't fly very well, and like she'll be 
grabbing hold of me, you know, some turbulence. And I'm like looking and I'm like, babe, look like they're mm-hmm. walking, they're walking down the aisle. You're fine. You know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I was reading body language of nurses and doctors. And, and so even in that, in that state, um, I was, I was mapping, let's call it. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back to mapping when we get into talking about coaching. I hope we, we save time for that because coaching is a religion for me. Yeah, we got, we'll have some time. Okay. Um, but I was mapping all this and, um, I had to sign off, Sarah signed off on some, some sort of, they basically were, were like, look, here's the situation. You're, you're not in good shape. Um, you have full blown pneumonia. You can't breathe without oxygen. And, you know, if we get to, you know, a certain state, um, if we get to a certain state, we got to put you in the ICU. Mm Mm-hmm. And I knew what that meant. I mean, I'd read enough stories. People in the ICU were starting, you know, there, there were some issues where if you, if you put them on a ventilator, that was like maybe the end. Yep. Maybe they would lose, you know, kidney function and things like that. And I was like, holy crap. And if you go back and look at my text messages to Sarah at the time, it was like, can you believe this? Like, can you effing believe this? I'm scared. Yeah. I'm really scared. I can't believe this. Yeah. And even like, do you think I should have got vaccinated and stuff like that? And and she's like, well, don't think about that now. And, you know, everything, you know, being very positive. And I'm just like, okay, um, this is, this is, and this is a big deal. This, this, okay. I'm maybe I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm dying. Mm-hmm. If I'm dying. Okay. Well, if I'm dying, what does that mean? Um, if I don't die, this is going to be pretty fucking rad. Yeah. It's gonna be pretty fucking rad because I don't know anybody who's older who doesn't have some story, some close call, doesn't have a few feathers in their cap. Yep. And so I was like, maybe this will be a sweet feather in my cap. <laughs> I got to be aware of this process in case that is the case. I, yep. I've got to, I've got to, I have to like take inventory as we do this. Um, I was getting worse, and I could tell, I could tell that I was getting worse because the flight attendant slash main doctor came in. And she knelt down next to me. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, no. She's going to get really, like, loving and maternal with me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hey, Eric, so your numbers aren't good. And we just can't seem to get them, you know, to go in the direction we want. Um, we're going to move you. So, so, so I had just been in, in normal care at that point. That's when they moved me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where I mishmashed the timeline a little bit. They moved me to that step right before I see you. They said, we're going to move you. Um, you're going to get your you know, better facilities. You're going to get round the clock, so-and-so. And, you know, someone will be in here shortly to move you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And um, I can hear the machines beeping still. And someone comes in. And, and at that point, they had given me like an experimental like arthritic medication or something that we had to sign off on that wasn't supposed to be used for that. It was an emergency use for this. Sarah signed off, gave me that. Um, there was no sign that that was helping. Um, I had taken those monoclonal a- antibodies. I had gotten my hands on ivermectin. Mm. We decided it was too late in the process to take it. Mm. There was still some, I mean, there was risk involved mm-hmm. in all that stuff. So we just decided not to take that. That was before I even got to the hospital. So whatever we had been doing was not working. Um, and so they roll, they, they come in with this bed and, you know, they transfer me to a, one of these beds that they're going to roll me out of there or whatever. And so, um, 
they had come in intermittently and told me, you know, stay in your stomach as much as you can. You know, it's just good for your lungs. Stay in your stomach. Yep. I was like, okay, I'll try. Super uncomfortable. These beds have a little bit of a, you know, whatever. Plus, I wanted to watch TV. Right. I mean, it's just super basic stuff. Like, but, yeah. but you know, I'd try and then I'd get uncomfortable. My back would hurt or whatever. And, um, you know, I'd roll back onto my back. Well, this guy is rolling me into this. I wish I could remember what it's called. It's not intensive care. It's uh, progressive care. Mm. Okay. Progressive care. He's rolling me there. And he's like, bro, that's your ticket out of here. I was on my stomach. I was like, what? He goes, that's your ticket out of here. Stay in your stomach. Hmm. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, that's, if you stay in your stomach, your lungs have a fighting chance. It takes all the weight off of them. I go, Crazy. I go, why didn't anybody tell me that? And in my head, I'm like, they've mentioned it, but they didn't frame it like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking him that. And he's like, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm sure they have. It's really important. And I was like, why don't people do it? He goes, I don't know. It's uncomfortable. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a pretty big piece of information. Yep. But but what I realized is, I mean, this is the sort of the epiphany I had. So they rolled me in that room and I, dude, I didn't lay, I didn't get off my stomach. Yeah. Didn't get off my stomach. And it became like you run the treadmill and the end of that sesh when you, you have every reason to not keep going, but then you create some whatever incentive, some carrot to yep. keep going. Maybe you got to hit that number. Maybe you're trying to get that. I don't know. You're trying to do it in a certain time or I envision picturing your gross ass body. Dude, I in envision a my kids. It's a, this is the weirdest shit. I envision my kid like hanging off the side of a cliff. And, and you're running to get him. I don't know if I don't finish like hit whatever I'm trying to do that day. They'll fall. <laughs> oh man. It's that's fucking dark. gruesome, but I swear to God, I'd finish every time. Well, well, I mean, okay. So I can relate yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah. So that's what it was like being on my stomach. <clears throat> Even though my life was in the balance, I still wanted to roll over. And, it, and I had an epiphany in that moment. I was like, we can't, we can't process the gravity of what it means to have a life and death decision mm-hmm. to make. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can correlate it to a movie we've seen, mm-hmm. some Stallone movie or some shoot 'em up movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's our reference. But we can't. It's too much for our brain to process. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter who framed it or how they framed it. I wasn't going to grasp how important it was. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could have shook it into me, but I'm in a, I'm in a pretty effed up state. Nobody's going to be shaking me and telling me that. They're trying to be comforting yeah. and accommodating. Yeah. This dude found a way to say it in a way that resonated with me. It's your ticket out of here. It's your ticket out of here, man. That's all I was hoping for. And as somebody who grew up playing sports, and this is a good segue into sports, I had an opponent. Yep. Now I had an opponent. Yep. And I had a Rocky poster on my wall my kids gave me. Yep. Okay. And I was I was texting with people and I was fighting. I was saying all those things, but I didn't really know what I was fighting. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't feel like I had control over the fight. I knew I wanted to live. I knew I was scared shitless to die. I knew I was fading. I knew I was getting sick, but I didn't I didn't know how to fight it. It wasn't something I could punch. Yeah. Um, most of the, the jargon I didn't understand. It's medical language, you know. Yep. You know, it's confusing, even if they say it in simple terms. But as soon as he gave me a directive. Not only did I do it, but I started getting that feeling like I was in command. And so I, I laid on my stomach for fucking like two days. Jeez. And, dude, I started getting better. Right away? I started getting laying better. on your stomach. started getting better. I don't know if that's what it was. I mean, yeah. I was on that, that arthritic medication, right? I was, you know, being positive. I had pictures of my family, which they'll tell you when you're in that position. They'll tell you that that's unbelievably helpful mm-hmm. sounds trivial 
Everybody loves somebody. No, not everybody does. I watched them wheel carcasses by my door of people who didn't have someone who sent a card hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know where they were at in their state of life, but they didn't have that something. There's, there's, a, there's a real tangible effect to having that sense that the outside world is, is there waiting for you, rooting for you. Yeah. Okay. And so who knows to what degree all that stuff helped. You know what it was? It was my text. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> you say that in a joking manner, but I'm telling you, it did, it had a huge effect. Not just your text, everybody's text. Right. Hearing from people, when you're a relatively unlikable guy, and I, I don't say it for like, a, I'm not looking for a hug or like, yeah, you're a good guy. You just know who you are. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never been some somebody people root for. I've said this since then. I've actually written it out that way because I started outlining a book about stuff that that I actually shared a little bit of like the, you know, the, the early outline or whatever. And one mm-hmm. of the things I say is I've never been somebody people root for. I, I'm really not um, for a lot of reasons and p- big chunk of which is my own doing. Like I just not, I'm not really comfortable being somebody people root for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like when you don't like me or root for me, I'd like you to respect me. Mm-hmm. I'd like, I'd like for you to, you know, value maybe conversations, but I you start to like me. I start to think there's something wrong with you. And we could probably, I mean, that's a, that's a different podcast, <laughs> yeah. why, why you go there. But so I'm really comfortable not being liked. And in fact, I, I, I concoct scenarios and, and dynamics so that maybe you don't like me. I push envelopes or make people uncomfortable for that reason. So I'm not comfortable being rooted for. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's, you know, but I've. But in that moment. Oh, dude, it felt so good. Yeah. Felt so good. You cannot imagine in that state. Because you got to remember, you're stripped down now. Like. Like not only are you sick, so you're so you're so you're vulnerable, but they've now peeled away all the stimulation. Yeah. So 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 that the the core, right, the fire, that fire that's in there, whatever that is, is really all that's going on. And mm-hmm. that's and that's part of why I think, and I can start to talk about now the perspective when you're in that state. That's why I think that like memories become very clear and crisp. Mm. Because the ones that define you mm-hmm. are now very prominent. Mm-hmm. You, you no longer have all these layers. You don't have, mm-hmm. A, you've lost weight. So mm-hmm. so those layers are starting to peel away. But psychologically, all of that weight has been peeled away. Yeah. And so now you're in touch with some shit that is at the core of who you are. Yeah. Fundamentally. Fundamentally, your principles, your values, biologically, you're at the core now. You feel that. You're very exposed, but you're also very perceptive. And so um, that's the state that I was in. And so I was able to like, you know, as I'm getting better, now I'm in this, this state. Now I'm, it, it's like a, it's like the endorphins are strong, the perspective's strong. But when you send a text and somebody's in that state, it lands like, not like a text you get from me on a Monday afternoon yeah. when everything's hunky-dory. Yeah. You kind of see, you kind of check it. Thanks. Reach out, thumbs up back, you know, smiley face back. Oh yeah, that's right. Thanks for reminding. Now you're, then there's 20 other distractions. Every text felt like a hug, man. Every yeah. text felt like a dab. Every yeah. text. And the ones that landed the best were the ones that people kept it real. Okay? Yeah. Like, so what happened when I was in that state is the dudes, especially the ones I've known the longest, were like, don't be a pussy. <laughs> Love that. I'm dying. Yeah. Don't be such a fucking pussy. Yeah. This one dude who I've known forever, Mike, said, you're an asshole. You've always been an asshole. You're gonna stop being an asshole now. Yeah, be an asshole to this. And I was like, "Wow, yeah, wow." He wasn't like saying goodbye. Yeah, he wasn't saying you got this. Yeah, prayers up. He was like, "Hey," and I was like, "Whoa!" But then the women in my life, all the women, were nurturing. Yeah, 
girlfriends I dated in seventh grade, mm-hmm. girls I knew from college. Hey, we love you. Yeah. We love you. Yeah. We need you. Yeah. Be strong. Nurturing me, right? Nurturing me. Mm-hmm. You, you got the dudes, iron sharpening iron, kicking me in the nuts going, where's the brawn? Yeah. You got the women going, here, I got you. We love you. Mm-hmm. Let me nurture you. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And in that state, it couldn't have been more pronounced. Yeah. And I needed them both. I needed it both. Yep. I needed it both. I needed the masculinity. I needed the femininity. And it, it fucking brought me back to life, dude. Yeah. And laying on my stomach and who knows what medicine and those unbelievable doctors who are at wit's end and my family and all of it. And when you turn that corner and, and the doctor comes in and goes, wow, you're getting better. Yeah. I was out of there in less than 48 hours. It's crazy. From that time. Yeah. And, and, um, it, it was a feather in my cap. Like I, like I hoped it would be once I turned the corner, I I had a new perspective on things. And, um, what I learned was you don't want to die. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says. You don't want to die. We want to live. There's a reason animals instinct is to live. You back them in a corner, they'll fight to the death. It's because that instinct is legit, mm-hmm. okay? Which led me to think our instincts on everything are pretty damn good, okay? The other thing I learned is, I'm in this stripped-down state. I had no ego. No ego. So your ego goes away. What I realized is your ego is a concoction. Your ego is there as a defense mechanism. Your ego is a, is a, is, is a, is a, is a, is a, how should we describe it? It's a, it's like alcohol. It, it's like, um, it, it's false. Mm-hmm. A lot of us need it. Gets us through a meeting or pumps us up or whatever. But my my ego is completely gone. Mm-hmm. I wasn't laying there going, you know, who's going to sleep with my wife when I'm gone? Which is right. what I would have thought I would think about before I die. Right. I didn't care. Yeah. It wasn't that at all. It was. It's it, funny you say that because I probably would think I would think the same thing. You wouldn't though. You're, you're, when your ego's gone, the silliness of all that bravado is is silly it just is it's just silly and things up that that are driven by ego fox news cnn bickering when that was on it was like oh my god yeah holy shit is that theatrical and gross yeah toxic which we know we all know that but it's like it doesn't poison us on a regular basis because we're so poisoned already by all of it right um that was jarring to me. Yeah. Um, I had I didn't have any regrets. I had no regrets. I wished I would have told my wife more often that, you know. Yeah. I really love you and I really appreciate you. She did an amazing job. Yeah, I know she did. She did. I know she did. I mean, like, I think you were. I th- I'm trying to remember back. I think you were <clears throat> documenting some of it yourself. Weren't you? Were you posting on social? A God, bit it must have been taken as I when I was getting better. I think I was starting to take some pictures. But I know, like, there was pretty consistent updates from Sarah, if I recall, um, which I think kept a lot of people involved and in possibly reaching out to you and saying those. She things would relay stuff to me, yeah. But I would go, you know, I wouldn't be able to get on my phone for hours and hours and hours yeah. and hours. I mean, over New Year's Eve, I remember my phone was banging, but I just was too incapacitated to right. do anything. 
No, but she did a really good job. So yeah, and she and, and I, you know, you learn stuff about people when things are tough, and that's she was like in her element, making yeah. sure everything was tight and right, and it, you know, it's it's a game changer, hundred yeah. percent. And and I remember thinking I should probably be more outwardly verbal about my appreciation for her, but yeah. I didn't have any other regrets. All the stuff that I'd said on Facebook, I felt validated. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I had doctors sneak into my room and say, "We have no idea." Oh, treat this. Sure. We have no idea if the vaccine works. This is this is an uncaged animal. Excuse me. This is a caged animal that, in its own right, COVID. We don't we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We we have no idea. We know what we're supposed to say, and so. I never felt like um, I, I was glad. I I was really glad, even when I thought that it might be the end that I had expressed those thoughts, yeah. which to me was like really empowering going forward. Like you should always express what you think your truth is. You yeah. should, you should always express what you think your truth is. Um, Cause that'll be a regret at the end. It yeah. will be, it will be. And that's where I get really worked up about um, self-censoring. And you know, we live in this state now where damn man, I'm like, we all feel like we got to censor ourselves. And when you start censoring yourself, it's hard to live. It's hard. It's hard to be effective. It's hard to do the right thing. It's, you end up, everyone ends up confused. We can't mm-hmm. find the right information. So I just, that's one of the takeaways that, you know, I really hang on to still, but like anything else, you get back better. I was like, I'll never drink a Diet Coke again. I was drinking Diet Coke a couple months later, right? <laughs> I just felt, you know, he felt so pure. I was like, I'm not right. going to do that to myself again. But at the end of the day, what I realized, too, is I was just hard to kill. I was hard to kill because I was in decent shape. Um, well, and he had something to fight. I think that that's... you. you once I had an opponent. It, yep. that I, I'm telling you, I think that's a huge part of it. If mm-hmm. you have some something, I mean, if you're an athlete, I think you understand this. Like, if you have something to, f- to fight, to focus on as your opponent it gives you a little bit more clarity to focus like your energy on yeah. that. You know and I mean? that's a real thing. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I mean, I think I use that in business all the time. I use it in life. I'm sure I'd use it in the face of death. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you I would. Mm-hmm. I would have to find the opponent of, you know, like what is it? Yeah. And then, and then the other thing is like I, life and death decisions don't have to feel like what you think a life and death decision should feel like based on a movie you've seen or, or a projection of what you think it must be because it's so that's so much gravity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so you could walk that back and go, okay, huge decisions are happening all the time and you're not going to see them coming. It's the mortar between the bricks, the people you meet, mm-hmm. the conversations you have, mm-hmm. they're life altering. Something as simple as me laying on my stomach was a life changing decision that I could or could not have made based on discomfort in the short term in the short term my discomfort would have determined that outcome how would that have affected my kids lives right forever or whatever i mean and so if you take anything away from it okay just take away that they're all life and death decisions yeah yeah every little every little decision can amount to something large yeah they're all life and death decisions so um I made lists and stuff that I, you know, I think I told you earlier. I, I, I went back and looked at this list of stuff that I wanted to remember because I knew I was in this super pure state. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's just like, you know, everything's a life and death decision. Trust your instincts. Those real, everything's simple. Everything's, there's a simple explanation for everything. I wrote that down when I was in that state, um, which sometimes I don't even know what I meant at the time. Um, I was very emotional. Yeah. I would cry for weeks and weeks and weeks about stuff. Hmm. Um, 
Like after you got out? Yeah, talking about it. Yeah. Or um, they wanted me on, on you know, um, basically painkillers to, to not process my mom's death in the middle of all this. Gosh. And um, they po- we postponed the funeral until the end of January so I could go. Yeah. And I remember... I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go on this stuff. I was, you know, I was willing to listen to the doctors on all this stuff. They, you know, they, I got better, so I didn't want to fight whatever anybody said was the like the the protocol for getting better. And I just I was trying to write her eulogy because I was going to be the one to give the eulogy, and I was just like numb. It was like I was writing about somebody else that died, yeah. or like a, my cat who had died. Yeah. And so I just decided then that I wasn't I wasn't going to stay on that stuff. So I finished writing the eulogy, but I didn't. I I, I was on that stuff for. I don't know, two weeks or something. Gosh, your poor dad. <clears throat> yeah, it was hard for him. He had a lot. I mean, obviously, you guys all had a lot going on, but to lose his wife and then you being in the hospital. Yeah, man. Yeah, and my, and my brother and sister, too. And, oh, yeah, your and, brother and sister. And my mom died, and it was all kind of about me, you know, and they, you know, they were cool with it. My brother and sister are super successful, super smart people. I mean, I'm the least successful in my family, least successful of my friends, and I want it that way. If I start, I'd like I want to be in a room full of really smart, successful yeah, people. Yeah, be the dumbest person. Yeah, in the room, I right? get really uncomfortable if it's not the dynamic. But they're they were great, and and my mom's, you know, I couldn't be there to help with anything, funeral planning. I couldn't yeah. be there to say goodbye, and then I got all the attention. They didn't get any attention after my mom died, and so they were they were fantastic. And you know, it was one of those things where now it's a story and and traumatized my kids a little bit, but. I wouldn't change it. I, you talk to people who go through stuff that's real serious. I wouldn't change it. No, and and honestly, it probably. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it was really hard on them, but I'm sure it taught them some things too. You know. Yeah. Um, and that it's just going to be something that they pick up over time as as they become adults, and like mm-hmm. the fact that they saw their dad go through that, yeah. and and how he fought, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't. Have, you know, you don't have to uh, follow the 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 herd you know and and do what everybody else says you can still be successful in your own right by doing your own thing and trust your instincts and trust your instincts yeah you'll learn quickly if your instincts are off and 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 one of the things we've never really shielded our kids i'm i'm super i'm super um honest with my kids i really believe that um there's a ton of value in in i let my kids swear Mm -hmm. okay and the reason I let my kids swear is because I a I don't want to give much power to a word. To a word, yeah. Um, but also, I just think there's a lot of truth in it. Like, there's times when I don't want them to think that if they hear Tyler Miller swear, he's a he's the devil. Yeah. I I want them to be able to understand context. Right. And so, you know, they understand the gravity of that whole COVID situation. We might shield them from some stuff that's maybe potentially like really extreme. Um. But for the most part, and this is how I coach, and let's let's segue into coaching here, yeah. okay? Because coaching to me is a religion, and um, when it's all said and done, I hope I hope that coaching youth sports is what I'm remembered for, mm-hmm. okay? It seems clear it's not going to be any sweet business idea, although I have endless sweet business <laughs> ideas, okay? Um, it's probably not going to be one, I don't think. Um, it's going to be coaching. I think that's going to be the thing that I have the biggest impact on the most people. Um, it's it's something I take a lot of pride in, and it's like a religion. And, and one of the, the 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 linchpins of my coaching philosophy is honesty. It's it's to me when you're honest with kids, um, even when it creates short term discomfort, mm-hmm. maybe especially um, when you're honest with them, they start to 
they start to develop the ability to map. Mm-hmm. Okay, they can map the situation. They have an honest assessment of where they're at. And then they know if they have to go here to get better, if they have to go here to work on this, if they have to go there to be able to express themselves a certain way. All of their, all of their, because here's what you have to understand about kids. They know the truth. Mm-hmm. They know, kids know the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you and Ashley were having problems. Which we, we do. We, we will fight sometimes. It the, happens. Let's say you're having, just fictionally speaking, you had serious problems, okay? Yeah. You're, but you're keeping the kids, you're, you're keeping from the kids, okay? Right. Maybe, maybe it's gotten so serious that you're even like, maybe not sleeping at home a couple nights a week or whatever, mm-hmm. okay? But you're there in the morning, just like you always are. You leave after they go to bed, you come there in the morning. Nothing in the, in the, in the, in the daily routine has changed. Your kids would know. Mm-hmm. They would know based on the energy in the, the room. Energy. Yeah. They would know based on how you didn't laugh at her joke that you, you always laugh. Whatever it is, okay? And so they would know the truth. Mm-hmm. So when they ask you about what's going on or ask you maybe even a leading question about what's going on and you say, everything's cool, everything's fine, oh, everything's fine, okay? Now they're confused. I was to say, now you're confusing them for sure. Because their instinct is saying one thing and the person they trust the most their parent is telling them another. Now, if anybody else told them something different, they might go, that person's an idiot. That person's a liar. But this is the person who they've gone to with everything and they trust the most who's Mm -hmm. telling them something different. So now guess what happens? They lose confidence in their ability to assess. Mm -hmm. That has a devastating effect. Mm -hmm. When kids lose their confidence, we all know what that means. Right? We all go bananas. What do they need? Do they need medication? What what happened? Who bullied them? Who right. well you just you just killed your kids' ability to trust their instincts because their instincts are dead on. You're lying to them, but they don't think of you as a liar because you're their parent. So as a coach, I have a similar role. I have a similar role. And I want them to trust me to that level. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't do me any good to tell little Timmy that he's awesome or he deserves X, Y, or Z. When Timmy knows, Timmy knows on the team where, the, where he fits in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. He can see so-and-so. You talked about Cash. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Cash is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Cash is physically gifted. Cash also can solve this stuff really quickly. When you can do that yeah. in, in sports, it gives you a huge advantage at a young age because not everybody is up to that speed yet. That's what I tell Jameson all the time. I'm like... It's not always the physical stuff, buddy. It's the men- the mental. And, like, you hear the saying all the time, like, man, if I knew what I – or if I uh, knew now what I knew back then or whatever, whatever the saying is where you could go back with mm-hmm. your mentality currently, you'd be so much better. And it's true mm-hmm. because it's like watching my daughter play basketball mm-hmm. at 8, and then none of them – under like, she was so nervous to play mm-hmm. because she didn't understand the rules. She didn't understand what to do, so we worked with her. And then she started to feel better, mm-hmm. and but you still like you, she gets the ball and she still you can still see like the panic. Mm-hmm. It's not because she can't go to the hoop and make a shot. She's incredibly athletically gifted, just like Sailor is. Mm-hmm. But she just she it's doesn't all psychological. Get it. She doesn't get it, and that's where practice be- makes something routine. When you mm-hmm. when something becomes routine, then you're anticipating. It's not yep. just that you're comfortable. When you start anticipating what's next, you're faster than the speed of the game. Yep. Okay, it's like anything else. Like, like. like that's what they always say about young quarterbacks in the NFL. It's just too fast yeah. for them. It's too fast. Well, it's because they can't anticipate. Because that DN is faster than the corner that they went against in college. Yeah. And so when you can process information quickly, 
it's a huge advantage at a young age. And, and I don't know why Cash does it so well. I, I have some suspicions, though. It's based a little bit on the conversations we've had. I, I was I never let him have an iPad when he was in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eric, why you just do you think technology is going to fry his brain? No, I wanted him to look out the window. I wanted him to know when we left our house exactly what it looked like going to Nan and Papa's, mm-hmm. so he could map it. Mm-hmm. He had a sense of time. He had a sense of space. He had a sense of the landmarks. He he started to not only know that, but then he had confidence in his ability to assess. When you say Nana and Papa's, he has a vision in his head relative to where he lives that that house is. Mm-hmm. You give him an iPad when he gets in the car at a young age. Put on Mickey. You want me to do my Mickey impression? Do your Mickey impression. Please. Hey, everybody. It's time for the Tyler Miller Obvious Choice cast. <laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> um, when you put that on for the kid, they go into a space that is detached from time and space, okay? They go into a place that's attached from time and space. So they arrive at Nana and Papa's with no sense of where it is relative to where they started. Right. Who cares? Well, it matters. It matters because they didn't map that. Mm-hmm. Guess what else they're not mapping? The dynamics and relationships. They're not mapping the speed and time and pace of life. Mm-hmm. They're not mapping. They don't know their role. They don't know where they are relative to anything. They can't read a room as they get older. Yep. And guess what? You don't get a chance to make that up. You don't get a chance to make that up. So these young people, and there's all kinds of science that, 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 you know, documents this. And there's a billion different opinions. So you can always find something on every side of the coin if you want. Absolutely. But but I'm of the the cloth that they are as impressionable as they'll ever be when they're really young. Mm -hmm. And so when you start installing fundamentals, and that's their constitution— what happens in those zero to five or zero to three or one to four, whatever years ends up being the foundational stuff. And then you can play later. You can yep. play later. Yep. But, but if you neglect those things in those first years, you neglect to allow them to map distance, time and space. Mm-hmm. You neglect to let them feel some discomfort. So they start to develop tools to a no adversity is normal, but then b how do I deal with it? Mm-hmm. Right? How do I get through this pain without medicating it or whatever? Not to saying you don't medicate here and there. That, I mean, that's a very real positive thing for a lot of people. Yeah. But if you don't, but if it's the first option, yeah. If you turn right to it, mm-hmm, I think you're gonna you're gonna end up with a a lifetime of that chasing that 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 dragon. Yep. Um, but be not really ever dealing with the root of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, you know, back to coaching. I feel a responsibility to help map these kids map. And so I'm honest with them. Mm-hmm. I'm really honest with them about, and, and, and it's not for everybody. Okay. Um, but I feel like in our culture, I'm going to say this really clearly. Okay. Cause mm-hmm. this will be something you can clip and use as a tease and create some <laughs> controversy. Okay. Yeah. In our culture, I don't think there's anybody more important in a community than the youth sport coach. Nobody. And okay. why? Parent, obviously, yes. Okay. Starts with parent. Outside of parent or grandparent. Okay. When you start going beyond family, there's nobody more important in a community than a youth sport coach. Okay. And the reason is, there's a bunch of reasons. One, they're around your kid a lot. Okay. They're around your kid a lot. But they're around your kid in an environment where they are doing something where they're doing something they don't do anywhere else anymore, which is compete. 
-hmm. compete for an outcome. And that outcome is not being manufactured. The outcome is the direct result of what happens in the course of that practice, that game, mm -hmm. what have you, okay? Those skills are the most important skills we have. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting them taught to them anywhere else. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching them at home, hats off to you. I know who, which kids are being taught that at home because I teach kids in football season. I teach kids in basketball season. I teach kids in baseball season. I'm the head coach of a basketball team this year, traveling basketball team. I've been the head coach of a baseball team for five years. I've always been an assistant for football. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm around these kids enough to know exactly who's getting that education at home. Mm -hmm. And so the ones aren't, I know my role and my responsibility is huge. Mm -hmm. I really feel like you have to learn to deal with adversity to trust your instincts, to compete for an outcome, and you're not getting it in the school system. Mm -hmm. Teachers are super important, mm -hmm. but their hands are tied. Okay, mm -hmm. they've, they've got to adhere to another agenda and a whole set of rules and a bureaucracy and all that stuff that you don't when you're trying to win games, compete in practice, win a drill. They're not doing that in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Maybe here and there there's elements of it, but on the whole, it's not happening. And I know it's not happening in a lot of homes. I agree. And the, and, and the issues I've ever had in coaching, it's 95% positive feedback. Okay. It's thank yous. It's awesome. This has been incredible. I didn't know volunteer coaches could have this kind of impact, which by the way, we volunteer. Mm -hmm. so, so conflate that in your head. The most important people in your community with regards to your kids writing their constitution Writing their constitution. Let that sink in. Yeah. Okay? Not babysitting them. Writing their constitution. How they approach adversity. How they solve problems. How, how they set goals. How they learn to interact with teammates. How they do it on a fly. Mm -hmm. How they think about their body and space. How they realize that what they eat and drink equates to success. It's pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. That's why I love sports, man. You've got volunteers in charge of that. Mm -hmm. They're vetted now. They weren't when I was a kid. There's trusted coaches and there's these things. But they're volunteers. Mm -hmm. They're spending all this time free of charge doing this. And, the, and their responsibility is massive. Mm -hmm. And so I take it really seriously. I, I, try, to, I try to win. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. Now, winning is not a goal. Okay, winning's a byproduct. I want to state that very clearly because that gets confused. And anybody who wants to sort of criticize coaches will always go to that. They'll say, you're trying to win. It's a kid's game. What are you doing? And the reality is you have to have winning on the table because you have to have an objective. It's like your, the COVID thing. You got to have the, uh, you have the, to have the a, opponent to mm -hmm. attack, right? And, and, and I know what you're getting at. When you're doing drills, you're doing practices, you're all doing it for the outcome to show that you're that you're getting better and putting it all together so working as a stick. team, yep. which hopefully results in some wins. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I agree a hundred percent. It's a goal. Yeah. So to me, it's it's not that different than money. Okay, I've never set making money as a goal. Maybe to 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 my detriment. Um, but money is a measuring stick. It's a tool and it's a byproduct of sort of doing things right in a society that's you know, designed around money. Mm -hmm. And to me, winning is that, mm -hmm. okay? You, you can get away with not making a lot of money or, or 
going periods of time when you're not making any money. If you know, maybe you're pursuing something that's more passionate, or maybe you have a startup that's losing money. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a measuring stick to whether you're on course or not. Mm-hmm. You're not in fantasy land. It keeps you rooted in reality, and that's what winning does in terms of coaching. You have to have it, and it has to be used as a measuring stick. If it becomes a goal and you're not doing things right, well, then, yeah, then that becomes a potential issue because maybe you cheat mm-hmm. to win. If you cheat to get money, what are you? You're a crook. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that. Or you're ignoring principles and values and sportsmanship. Okay, then you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. No, you can't do that. But you have to have it on the table. You have to. And so winning is a part of the program. It will always be a part of the program as long as I coach. And when we're not winning, I have to assess what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay? A lot of times that's a great opportunity to assess what's going wrong. So it's it's a great chance to walk through the truth. And we do that. So I'll give you an example. This nine AAA baseball team, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, They're super talented. We won the MBT State Tournament. Okay? We should have won the Gopher State Tournament which is more prestigious, and it was before that. Okay. Part of what we ended up doing in the MBT State Tournament later in the year was a byproduct of us not doing well in that first tournament. Yeah. But the reason it ended up being a positive is because of we, how we addressed it. Okay, So we were a strike away from winning the Gopher State ch- Championship, mm-hmm. Okay, which is a big deal when you set a goal and you come together as a collective and it's traveling baseball and all that stuff mm-hmm. and it's a big stage. We fell apart. We just fell apart. We made a series of errors, and then we, we got sad and... As a coach, I made a bunch of errors. You know, it's a new stage for me and whatever. And we went to practice that next Monday. And, and we, as a, as a group of coaches, Billy and Phil and Brian, we decided that, you know, we were going to tackle this head on. Line the kids up. I had a white erase board that I had drawn a beautiful picture of a bear. I drew a stick figure to the left of the bear and a can of prime to the right of the bear because... You know, can of prime, man. Oh my gosh. Is there a, is there a more glorious goal for no, any kid? And I'm talking no. the can. Oh yeah. Right, that they can't have. Yeah. And I said we're going through the damn bear. What's the bear? The bear's the truth. The truth of the situation. Okay. So and so, and I won't even use their name because they're kids. But so and so, what happened on that play? Okay. You all think so and so was the reason we didn't win that? Well, guess what, so and so? What happened in the bottom of that inning when you still had an at bat and you struck out? Okay, that game wasn't over. Mm-hmm. But what about that ground ball two innings before that when you weren't willing to get in front of it? Do you think that outcome we would have got to the point when so and so would have made that error? Each one of them were culpable. Okay, and it was it was uh, for nine year olds. I think some people would think, well, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. Okay, but that was the bear. And what I wanted them to know is we're not going to make it an elephant in the room that no one talks about. It's a bear we're going to go through. Mm-hmm. We're going to fight this bear, and the other side of it is something awesome. Yeah. Okay. One kid, he was convinced his hit was fair. The refs got it wrong. It was a fair ball. We would have won the state. If it was fair, I said it was foul. No, no, it was, it was a fair ball. So-and-so told me. He said it was foul, okay? It was foul, and it was. Our third base coach thought clear as day. But he's hanging on to that. It was a way of escaping sort of the accountability yeah. component. Seems trivial. But it seems holds you tri- back. But it seems trivial, right? It's like, well, just let it, it doesn't matter. But what if that's established as a standard? Let's extrapolate out. Right? Let's amortize that non-accountability over the course of the next five years, eight years, ten years, his marriage, whatever else. Yeah. You think I'm being silly, but I'm not. No, no, no. Because I this is constitution writing stuff. Yeah. We went through it, and I didn't let any of them get out of that line. We ended up just playing wiffle ball that day to keep it light because we were coming off, you yeah. know, we were the number one team in the state, and we will be again this year. Yeah. Um, 
we 10 run to everybody in the next tournament. I yeah. think that load was off of us. We coached better and we made it a goal. We said, we're after this. We've got to rewrite, we got to write this wrong and all that stuff. And, um, that doesn't always sit well with parents when, when, when you're that honest. And I, anytime I have really negative feedback and I get it, I get it. I, I mean, I get negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always from somebody who's not honest with their kids at home. And so I'm a threat. Mm-hmm. They've got to drive home and they've got to make a really difficult decision as to whether admit that they're full of it or let Eric be the one to enlighten them. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that's that's two L's. They don't want either of those choices. Yeah. So they choose the third, which is to villainize me. Yeah. Which ultimately is really hard on the kid. Yeah. Because like I said before, the kids know the truth. Right. They know where they stand. The other thing I love about sports, it doesn't lie. Sports is its own truth. The numbers don't lie. The results don't lie. You can't lie to yourself and get the outcome you want. Yep. It's, not, it's not a simulation. It's not a video game. It's not a movie. It's not academia. Okay? Academia, for all its gloriousness, you can go and just write a term paper, call it a business plan, get a grade on it, and it never gets tested against the market. Right. It's a, it's a theory. And if one professor decides it's a good theory, you get a great grade and you feel like a winner. Well, guess what? I don't know if you're a winner. You didn't sell anything. The people haven't spoken. Mm-hmm. But sports isn't that way. And, and I think it's one of the reasons sports is as popular. It's more popular than ever. Mm-hmm. The values of franchises have, are through the roof and they'll continue to go through the roof because people crave that. That's tens of thousands of years of conditioning baked into our DNA yeah. that wants that. Yeah. Okay. And we're not allowed to get it anywhere else. And so sports is positioned now in a way that it is almost the last place you can get it. And so I take it really seriously when I coach these kids. Yeah. And they're really good and we're really successful. Okay. And it works and you can't argue with the results. Yeah. And, um, I trust that process. And so I could sit here and tell you right now that we'll win the state championship in baseball this year. Okay. I, I can tell you this. So little league and, and traveling are split in this town. I don't know if you know that it goes back years and years uh-huh. and years. It's an unfortunate thing. So we actually have the talent pool divided. Mm. If we all got together and played little league, th- this team in this town, and this is a testament to them, not me, by the way, we have great coaches in this town. We would go to little league world series with this team. Hmm. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. If I was head coaching the Little League team with the way we do things and the guys we have, Billy, Phil, Brian, Paul, uh, Dustin, all of us got together, this whole town would go on a ride. Yeah. We'd go on a ride. Okay? That's how, that's how good what we're doing is and, what, and how good these kids are. Yeah. It's, it works. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not even up for debate. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I take it really seriously. Um, I'm really dedicated. I hope it's what I'm remembered for after this adventurous life um, with all these stories that I'll have to share in part two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Where are we at for time? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, whatever. I've got time, but... <clears throat> um, I got about 10, 15 more minutes. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's the most important thing. And, and, and um, if I ever have problems, it's with, it's with families that don't tell their kids the truth. And... And I, I get it, but I feel bad for the kids, and mm-hmm. and it's not going to change the way I do things um, because the truth is is uh, 
the the truth is still even in this world we live in um where we want to fantasize about what to me the truth is still sexy i don't know that it is for everybody else and if we continue to create a world that is so fictional maybe we'll get to a point where the, the truth really is obsolete but it's to me it's still sexy i think it's still refreshing you know what I mean? I think it's sexy. It, it, well, I agree. It's very sexy, especially if it was named Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, no, I agree. Like, it's um, – you were talking about, like, ego earlier and how, like, you just didn't have it. Um, and I think it's just it, – it's this thing we have to have because everyone else has it. So it's like your defense mechanism, right? It's – it's yeah. It's I mean, yeah. And it's kind of related to, like, truth where – it's just it's easier it's it's more accepted to not be so honest and truthful because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but as soon as you're in an environment where you don't need to worry about the truth hurting people mm. it becomes refreshing it becomes you just drop the layers and you're just like yeah let's just all mm -hmm. stop stop fucking around mm -hmm. and stop trying to pretend that we're all perfect at whatever mm -hmm. live in the facebook life what's the worst case scenario if you're honest you might offend somebody but are you gonna? It. But you're gonna offend the right. I mean, you're gonna offend the the wrong. Per I mean, you're gonna offend the right person because you want to know that. I want to know that right. you, that's where you stand. I mean, it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut to finding out what people are really about. And you're in sales. I agree. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm in. So I'm 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 launching this magazine. Yeah. So so I'm in sales now. I mean, I'm in sales, and I've been in sales. I've I've done other stuff. I've done consulting, and I've done some really cool things with some really powerful people and powerful companies. And I've I've always found. Um, I've always found that if elements of truth are still the way to go, man. Mm -hmm. So this magazine, okay, let's talk about this really quick, okay? Yeah, let's so, get into it. So, so, you know, I've got this content background. I worked for ESPN uh, out of college. I worked on SportsCenter. And Which was my dream job, by the way. It was a lot was, of people's dream job. When I was like job. 18, I yep, yep, yep. would have loved it. Yep, and you can give me a clock if you're tired. I mean, I have time. I've arranged to have someone pick up cash. So if you, depending on your schedule, you can give me, you know, I'll read your body language. That's what I do. <laughs> But um, um, I'll give you a signal. Okay, yeah, Spirit do that. Fingers. Um, but but you know, so it was my dream job too. Yeah. Um, Bristol, Connecticut ended up being like kind of on a navy ship. It was a little, it was just dudes, and like when you're 22, 23, once the novelty wore off, it was like time to get out of there. But I have this, I have this like content creation background. I wrote like a Nerf Illustrated in high school and handed them out after we played Nerf on weekends. And so creating magazines and things like that are. I used to do stuff like that too. It's funny mm -hmm. you say that. Yeah, it's just in me. It's just in me. So yeah. the fact that I got away from it, and I hosted a radio show, a sports radio show for uh, Good Karma Broadcasting, which is a great company. They're still around. They work with ESPN now. Craig Karma's and his dad, Mel, discovered Howard Stern. And mm. I think he might, at, Mel was the CEO of Sirius Rat Satellite Radio at one point. Oh, but wow. his son, Craig, was a young entrepreneur and had a radio station. And so I hosted a radio show uh, for him when I was 26, 27 years old. Yeah. I've created content my whole life. I wanted to be a screenwriter. I wrote a screenplay called Stan the Man mm -hmm. about a fictional guy. It seemed really genius at the time. Now, 15 years later, it seems really outdated, so I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> um, this magazine is a chance for me to do that again. Okay, like create this, like scratch this itch, something that comes really naturally to me mm -hmm. that I also really love. And now I'm doing it in this community. I'm basically putting together a community magazine that is going to shine a light on the best parts. Not so different than what you're doing with this podcast. Um, and there's going to be a podcast associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's through a parent company that handles all the infrastructure stuff. So I'm not loaded down with that burden. I just get to publish, write, 
And then, of course, I have to sell to get it up off the ground. But I'm looking for partners mm-hmm. who are interested in, obviously, you know, having their customers here. The, the magazine goes to 4,000 homes. Um, in addition, there's digital stuff. If you want to do, you know, 70,000 impressions in that same footprint, right in Blaine, mm-hmm. it goes to homeowners. They use home ownership to figure out kind of who it goes to. So there's a, a little bit of affluence. People with, with some disposable income. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't value in people who don't, aren't homeowners, but I, you know, I was a renter for a long time. I was in a different state of mind. I wasn't interested in upkeep. I didn't have disposable income to buy products and services. So it just doesn't set up well for partners if that's not who it goes to. So this is right. a, a little bit of a premier partnership with the neighbors. And then you bring in these premier businesses and there's a ton of them, Yeah, which I knew, I knew that there were, but having now spent the last couple months meeting with small business owners, there's some unbelievable stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. And so this is a platform for those businesses to reach, um, the people of Blaine in a, in a slightly different way, um, in a community way, in a align yourself in Facebook and print, align yourself with this really cool magazine where we're talking about really interesting families, people up to interesting stuff, kids in the community doing cool things. Um, all of that's going to be highlighted in this mm-hmm. na- Blaine Neighbors is what it's going to be called. And so I am still looking for partners, um, and there is still a chance to get some of the pre-print discounts for launching at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody interested, obviously you know a ton of people, recommendations are yeah. the most powerful thing in the world. You can let me know if you hear back or anything like that. Um, but it's a go, and I've already got some unbelievable partners. In fact, I, got, I have some gifts for you, one of which is from a partner. Um, really? We can get into that. Um, but yeah, so I have this content creation background and, and, and so I'm going to do this and some people roll their eyes and go, Oh, another direct mail, whatever. This is not what it's going to be. No, I wouldn't put my name on it. I wouldn't. And, and you'll know real quickly if I can't get it to where I want, cause it'll cease to exist. Okay. <laughs> I will not put my name on something that isn't interesting, that people aren't looking forward to getting, doesn't have some buzz, doesn't have something in it you didn't expect or didn't already know. Right. Uh, 10 years from now, I think as this community grows, which is happening, some cool things are happening here. Yeah. I want this magazine to sort of walk, not only in lockstep with it, but sort of help facilitate that, yeah. that growth. Because this town, I grew up in the West Metro, I told you that, I think mm-hmm. briefly, right? Um, this was like gas up your car on the way to the cabin country. And um, we came up here because my wife's parents lived up here. And we've been up here 10 years now. And dude, I'm in love with it. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with this place. I'm in love with what's happening. I'm in love with the people. I'm in love with the infrastructure. I'm in love with the sports scene. Okay, so I have a goal to make this the youth sports capital of the world. I talked to the mayor about it. I mean, I think he thought I was a little bit of a maniac, <laughs> like requesting to have breakfast with him to yeah. chat about this. Yeah. But I really think that there's a, a chance to kind of brand the city that way. We've got this this National Sports Center, which is the largest. That dome's, I think, the largest indoor youth facility in the country. Maybe Houston has one that's close. or It's first or second. Do you know, I can't say what I need to say on air, to you so I can say it after but do you know what they're bringing to Blaine um the promenade they're bringing something for sports is it have you heard about it yet can I say if I know I or know. I can't well don't say it okay but do you like is so it, yeah 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 you know that I, I think so okay yeah if that's what I'm thinking because that that That's huge. will be mm-hmm. major just for, I think there'll be probably a way to tie it into the youth sports scene as well. It's you know all I mean? connected. Yeah. It's all connected. And so this is what I tell I my... Blaine is amazing. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm passionate about it too. I grew up in Champlain. I had, I hated Blaine growing up. You know, they're our rivals. Yeah, you have to hate them. And, you know, I don't know anything about it. And then you get here and you're just like, wow, there is so much going on in this city mm-hmm. compared to 
pretty much anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's just like people still think it's too far north sometimes. and Which is fine. I mean, I, I'm fine. fine with you having that opinion. I mean, I, I grew so my friends all stayed in the West Metro. My brother, Wyzetta, you know, they have their opinions on stuff. Mm-hmm. Good people, mm-hmm. uh, motivated people, hardworking people, really successful people. I challenge them. Tell me another community that's got an airport, mm-hmm. has youth facilities, sports facilities like we have, mm-hmm. has a professional golf tournament. Yeah. Find one. Yeah. Find one. Yeah. Show me one. Yeah. And Show me just, one in the Midwest. Scratch in the surface. But Show yeah. me one in the Midwest. And then we've got this. We've got the leaders that are doing the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. The growth, the diversity. Yeah. Okay. We've got. I mean, things are happening here. We've got room to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not confined. Which is okay? kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. There's room to grow. And so, ten years from now, I think you're going to find that this city is is on a totally different plane. In terms of its role in the in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. um, its its reputation, um, it's it's fun, it's exciting. And so this magazine, I really, it's really important to me to get this thing going and be a part of what's happening here and highlight it and frame it and yeah. kind of let it grow and evolve to whatever it's going to be because it's it's going to stay tuned into what's happening. Yeah, but um. um, I'm here for it, man. I am. Yeah. So no, and I'm excited. I mean, there's a there's definitely lots of communities that receive these types of magazines, but when we met and talked about yours, mm-hmm. knowing that you're behind it, I know it's going to be can't miss. You know, well, Cause, if cause it is, one, if it misses, I'm out. Well, I'll let you know, but it yeah. won't. It won't give miss. me honest feedback. It but... won't miss um, because you're you're passionate about all the right things and and you have that background. But like, you know, the one that everybody currently gets, you know, you page through it mm-hmm. in five seconds and you throw it in the garbage. It like, feels like it was written on autopilot and it yeah. feels like it's written with the goal of just selling ads. And I'm not a sales guy first. I'm a, I'm a content creator first. And so come along the ride, you know, for that. And then, you know, also as a business, you know, you start to resonate with the community. And, and yeah. dude, if the two of them are the same, if, if one's the same after the first month, I'll be mad. Like, I don't like doing anything that way. And so... Right. Um, that's my goal. That's my goal. That's my goal is to do that. And it's a, probably a pretty tall task, but, um, and then I'm attaching a podcast called thumbs up Blaine. Okay. I like it. Which, you know, with, with your blessing, I will probably record here. <laughs> um, yeah, um, uh, you, you definitely can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there'll be an Instagram page and that stuff. I just want to highlight, and I've got big grandiose plans and I got to be careful not to get too far ahead of myself. That's my biggest fail, right? When I, when I think about things or I've tried to do things as I, I really want to create the Super Bowl before I even have. You like to map, yeah. I mean, I can see it going there, and that's. But you got to execute. You yeah. got to execute. You got to have and, the vision, um, and uh, I have no doubt you're going to succeed at it. There's no. I mean, I appreciate you're it. You're at a. You're I no mean, one. You helps. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I'm not, and, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass because um, that's bad radio. By the way, that's really <laughs> bad radio. The first right. thing you learn in content creation is conflict is good. Yeah, conflict right. is good. Okay, got to have conflict in the screenplay. When I used to host a radio show, I hated my co-host, and I was ready to be done. The powers that be were like, "No, no, we like it. Yeah, that's good. We actually like that you hate each other." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, okay. Why? Conflict is good. Mm-hmm. So I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It, knowing you and being connected to you is a win. Um, and so. I feel well, like I feel the if same I have way your endorsement, you. that's a win. So yeah. no, and and yeah, anybody that is uh, still watching or listening, like uh, you've heard many of his stories today. I I mean, there's not many people that are as dialed in on some mindset stuff like you have the background that you have, have the passion that you have. So while you'll say you know you like to be the 
the dumbest person in the room. I think it's sure. kind of difficult when you're in that room because I you're you're pretty damn intelligent and you got it going on, buddy. So I'm proud to know you. Thanks, man. And uh, you know, I, I you got my support 100 percent on, on everything. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, we we speak the same language. Pretty much everything that you were articulating, I wholeheartedly agree with. You articulate it very well, though. I like. There's some good things. I'm gonna make my wife watch this one because it's a lot of stuff that I try to say, okay. but you do it really, really well. Um, so I appreciate, appreciate that. Um, thank you. That's a good and, compliment. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you know, um, I don't want to be a gravel fest. I was going to return some compliments, but I, you know, like I, you're an honest dude. And, uh, I, I will say there aren't a lot of dude realtors that, um, I've become friends with. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's the truth. And, and, but there's a sincerity about you and the way you do things. You're really comfortable in your skin. You ain't trying to fraud or front or do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're really comfortable being you, dude. And yeah. I, I admire that. And and that's something I want to be around and learn from. So I'm always learning something from you. Yeah. And and you're you don't say you're gonna put a podcast together. You put a podcast together. Okay. Like I've been it. I've been guilty of saying I'm gonna do some shit, and then yeah. I don't do it. And so when I look around and see someone who puts a little money where their mouth is goes through the, 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 you know, the sort of the warts of making it happen. That's admirable. And, yeah. and you've done that time and time again with your different invest, uh, endeavors, your investments. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So yeah. this is cool. Um, can I give you the gifts? Or are we running out of time? Or I there... mean, I, I'm going to definitely make time to get some gifts. Okay. Yeah. okay. So I brought you some stuff because I think. Um, yeah. He walked in here with like a, <laughs> a box of, says Svedka vodka on it. And well, it's like, the only box that held this. Thing. This is going to be an interesting podcast. Well, okay. So to me, I have some gifts and I have some show and tell items. Okay. okay. So, but I don't know how much time. What are we at for time? So just tell me what's, we're at two hour mark, right? Yeah, we're good. Okay. We got another 10 minutes. Okay. So, so <clears throat> if you come without gifts, especially this time of year, like right. that's not reading the room. Right. I teach my kids to read the room. Right. Okay. He is currently digging out a giant. So this is the first one. This, this is Svedka so when you bring gifts, box. here's the other thing I want you to understand: so nuance. Okay, I mean we really got to do a part two because I'd like to talk about nuance, the power of nuance, and how important nuance is in context. But if you bring just um, if you bring just a gift like this, like a playful gift, you don't get it. Okay, right. You can always do a playful gift, but then you got to come with a different gift too. So this yeah. is your playful gift. That's my playful yep. gift. Yep. Yep. Oh, he knows the absolute just way to my heart. For sure. I am absolutely pulling out okay. a huge 24-pack. It's the holidays, bro. Okay. This thing is heavy. That's just Holy so you can get through the holidays. I know this Thanksgiving. This is just to get through it today. But, here, but here's the thing. White Cloud's a bit of a cliche gift for Tyler Miller because everybody knows. You were the first grown man to go on record <laughs> and acknowledge. But here's here's what I here's where I give you credit. And this is where you really grew on me, okay? Yeah. yeah. I, w- I thought that was just something we all kept to ourselves as grown men. <laughs> Okay, um, and, you, and you did have. it, and I, I was like, have. "That's a that's a set of balls." Yeah, you know, it's probably you know the same that's set, a set of, balls of balls you showed with talking about the COVID. I did it with white it's claw, com- dude. It's completely different because <laughs> we're all trying to we're all courageous. But it was so it was keto friend. I mean, we we were all like, we probably you know what? I don't want to I don't want to be that beer drinking slob, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a claw. But if anybody asks, no, I'm the, having I'm having like an amber, the an, onslaught an of memes that were sent to me for. A whole calendar year. But you owned it. But it was so funny. But everybody, everybody, like, it It just, it was so funny because I don't remember why, but yeah, I just decided to own it. And like, almost like a joke right away. And then literally people would, like, approach me, still to this day, obviously, and be like, dude, I was thinking about you last night. <laughs> like, what? 
why? It's really unbelievable. I, I had a few White Claw. And I like, mean, if we could get Claw to somehow sponsor this down the road, I mean, that would be full circle. But I've tagged White Claw a few times being like, hey, man, like, give me something. Like, this is getting Do out of Do you have control. a favorite flavor? Because I've seen you drink mango, um, but I was just like, you know, I'm not going to. Actually, that. I've become very privy to the blackberry. Okay. It's subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's subtle. subtle notes. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely <laughs> subtle. I feel like you own your... I feel like you own, but that's part of what you do. You just kind of own. I'm, I'm you know what? I part am. of that's having a, a good woman, too. Oh, for sure. You don't have to front. The second I end up single, me. you're going to see the biggest fraud because I'm going to be in constant desperate state. Yeah. When you have a woman at home who kind of takes you for who you are and, and, like, you don't have to, you can just be, you can be a douche. You can be sweet. Yep. You can be, you can screw up. You can be awesome. Yep. It, it is. It's part of no. the secret. So you own that. And that's. Thank you very um, much. Yeah. And that's also functional. Okay, you can drink these. Oh, I'm okay, it's not just going to drink these, and they're cold too. Should have brought these so out at the beginning. On the beverage front, this is a, this is a gift courtesy of uh, you heard of Bushi? Bushi. Okay, so a lot of, Bushi's a local company. Okay. Okay. Chris at Bushi creates custom merch. Okay. Okay. Unbelievable. He's partner in the magazine. Yeah. Um, can't even remember how I met him, but he is wildly successful. Yeah. Okay. Global. He's a global company. He does okay. 15, 20 events globally wow. annually if you know anything about running an event and what the cost is associated with that yeah he's he's cut his teeth or he's mostly known for doing rugby stuff which we don't have a lot around here so yeah. so not a lot of people have heard of him the magazine's going to change that yeah i walked in there for a meeting and i said i'm going to see tyler okay he does a podcast let's what would it how long would it take he goes i'll make it 10 seconds what's the name of the podcast so you got an obvious Shut choice up. podcast. Oh my gosh, you got the logo on there. He made that in front of me. Okay, dude, this is amazing. Okay, thank that, you so yep, much. Yep. So this is a whoever's listening. It's a Yeti. Yep, a Yeti uh, mug. Which you know, look, does anybody need another Yeti mug? Maybe not. But dude, honestly, I don't you know have what? that many. Okay, okay. Um, but here's the deal. Now you can have that on camera while you're chatting. Okay. Yeah. Promote, promote this. But if, if anybody needs custom merch, or you do, this dude will turn it around. He's, f in, and I'm talking creative stuff. Here, hold that. In, here, I'll hold it in front of this camera, actually. Hold on. It's out of focus a little bit. You get the point. You get the point. He turned that thing around. I've got a video of him making it. I'll show you. That's kind of cool. So this is Bushi? Bushi, B-O-O-S-H-I-E, custom merch. Um, he's gonna try and kind of expand things locally here. He's I love been, the name. Uh -huh. Is this his last name? No, it's not. His last name's of kind of a variation of that. Um, the name his is last name's sweet. Like Babish. Babish. Okay. Um, but it's cool, man. He's got a nondescript office and a nondescript building. He's understated, but he does unbelievable things, and he's super creative. And yeah. and so, like, he, he, for his Christmas party, he's I, I probably shouldn't say it in case I think he's surprising his. his okay. I'll tell you off air, but he's yeah. doing some stuff that you wouldn't even think. If yeah. you have any stuff you want to do, that's what I'm trying to do with this magazine. Though, is get these partners. Yeah. Well, in fact, he's premium in the community, partners. and I don't I don't know him, and he does because Tyler, you'd love. We, him. we need merch. You'd All love time. him. You'd love him. Yeah. And he doesn't just do your typical in the turnaround time. He's not giving you that custom ink, eight weeks, crappy T-shirt stuff. It's like, yeah. go in there, pump it out, okay? Mm. Stickers, decals, whatever you want. Okay? Wow. Um, well, thank you, Bushy. Love it. So, hmm. <laughs> just like Santa Claus over here. Well, just... I was going to do some show and tell, but I feel like the show and tell might not have time. Since we were doing a magazine theme, you know, I was talking about the magazine. Yeah. I was going to share some sports-related stuff, but... Um, Maybe. I'll just show it to you. Yeah. I'll just you can do a quick one. Yeah. So this is show and tell. This is not a gift. Okay. But I thought you'd think it was kind of cool. 
because my love of magazines is really at the heart of what's happening here. So I thought, yeah. I think this is kind of cool. Because I, so I have a sports, like, I, I, I collect sports stuff, you know? So, yeah. like, I have, like, a, like, signed Sports Illustrated collection. Yeah. Um, 30 or 40 different guys that were on the cover signed and ticket stubs. And, and so I brought some of that stuff to share, depending on how this dialogue would go. Or, yeah. So this is just, the, I'll just share this one. This is the very first Sports Illustrated. I thought you'd think that was kind of cool. This is the Your very sport. first? Yeah, well, it's the first year. So, obviously, they, they released multiple issues, but that's an authentic first Sports Illustrated ever. Wow. Volume 1. But as a as as an entrepreneur too, look at the back ad. As a guy who now who I'm selling <laughs> ads, you don't see that anymore. No. Nope. So never mind the sports component Parliament of it. Parliament cigarettes. Yeah. Filter mouthpiece. If that's not a, a sign of the times, and it, it goes back to our conversation about context, right? So like, so when you talk about wow. look at, those cards are still intact. Um, a lot of kids tore tore those out. Wow. These are like cards. I mean, they were you know they were one off Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Wow. But, but you talk about context. If you go back and listen to something somebody said 15 years ago, you have no sense of the world that it was set in and what was allowed and what isn't, and we right. judge it by today's standards. Look through a magazine from 1954. Yeah, this is 1954, August 16th, and it's in, like, pristine condition. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But those ads, you, you would think these people were Satan based on the ads and the way that—and and bigots and sexists and— you know what? By today's standards, they are. But it's it's a walk back in time, and I think it's important that we all kind of look at history a little bit. And if right. you like sports, then there's that added like goosebump effect. Man, this is this is really cool. So we could we could spend a whole pod just kind of just talking literally about going sports. through yeah. this. Yep. So automatic I thought, shotgun. Uh huh. <laughs> think <laughs> about the ads in here. Think about that. So yeah. I thought you'd think that was pretty sweet, um, just because I know you're, you're a bit of a sports fan. I am. Um, and I, I brought some other stuff that I won't show, but it's like I got like a ticket stub from. Um, the tuck rule game, Brady. Really? Yeah, so I had that ticket stub in there that I was going to show you. That's kind of fun. We actually just watched uh, that, that documentary. 30 30. Mm -hmm. yep. With, Woodson. The, with the kids. Yep. yep, yep. Cash loves that, too. That's a really well done, actually. I mean, yeah, Bra they end Brady and I graduated house. high school the same year. Yeah? So Brady has a special place in my heart. Cause I love it's like, Brady. As long as he was playing, I still felt like I could talk shit yeah. to my kids. Yep. Um, you weren't the old guy. Right, still? exactly. Um, Kurt Gibson's home run. I got ticket stubs oh, and stuff. Man. So that's, that's always fun to look at. But here's your last I know you're a, you're a you're a Twins fan. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Magazine theme. So I, I figured <clears throat> show my appreciation for coming on this because I do really appreciate it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I know I'm not an obvious choice for anything. You are the obvious choice. Okay. You're the unobvious. Yeah, yeah. Obvious which choice. I'm which I'm totally comfortable with. But that it takes a, a claw drinking guy with kahunas to to kind of break out of the what the mold is, especially early in this process. Right. Yeah. Like a year from now, it'd be easy to deviate. Right. You, but you could have found ten other people who are obvious choices to put me put on in this place. So I am truly grateful. So from my own a collection. Oh, man. My own collection. This is yours. Joe Maurer signed SI. No way. That's the legit gift to counter the joke gift. Seriously? This uh, is amazing, man. Thank you so much. Signed, uh, signed Maurer Sports Illustrated cover. Put oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah, dude. throw that throw it in the office or or put it put it on ice and uh, oh, Jamie will love it or something oh, yeah. down the road. I'm going to definitely show it to Jamie, but I'll... Yeah, I'll probably put it in my home office. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. for sure. For sure. Thanks for having me on. Man. Um, I think this is really cool. And, um, you know, I like to talk. I like to talk about myself. And, and so <laughs> you had a lot of good things to say. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't much that uh, that you you missed on. I thought it was really good. I thought anybody that listened to this is going to have some different perspective. Things that at least make them think. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, which I'm thinking. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, whatever. 
ten people listen to it, then that's that's you know that'll be a world record. Here, a, here's a record. what I always tell. So I always tell my my buddy Billy and I we talk about coaching, and we can wrap up with this if you want, um, unless you have those questions you have to get to or something. But um, no. the influence we have, even if you influence ten people, okay. Mm-hmm. If I influence two kids, four kids, six kids, what's the impact of that really? Right. Okay. The impact of that really. Let's say I coach 30 kids a year in various sports. Let's say I do it five years. Okay. It's 150 kids. You could argue that's not that big of an impact, Mm -hmm. but you start to think about if you're writing their constitution, like I say, then the decisions they make are rooted in the values, these values, Mm -hmm. you start to really like sort of amortize or whatever word you want to use. Yeah. You can actually start measuring economic impact yeah. of, of, of really affecting a couple kids. Well, it's generational. Okay. I still remember my youth baseball coach, okay. Bob Peltier. He was the best coach I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think that a lot of what he did with us, it somehow impacted me and, and, and allows me to say the same things I, you know, to my kids. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just those little things that you pick up on and like, and you're right. A, a, and when you were still impressionable. Totally. It's, it's really hard to take adults and reorient their train of thought. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of expressions, old dogs, new tricks, things like that. But the reality is you don't write constitutions later. What are they? They're amendments. Right. Okay. They're amendments. Yeah. So you could have a profound effect on me. Yeah. I could go to a weekend excursion, a seminar, take a new job, you know, watch a Tony Robbins video, and it would have a profound, it's just an amendment. Yeah. It's all it is. Yeah. It might be a really effective one. It might change the course of the way I'm living, but it's never going to be part of my constitution. Right. And so when you're talking about kids, you're talking about coaching, teaching, whatever it is, when they're young, parenting, that's constitutional stuff. Yeah. So if you, if you impact 10, 12, 14, and you extrapolate it out, it's massive, mm-hmm. massive. That's why at the end of the day, I don't think there's anybody more important teaching more important values than the youth sports coaches in these communities. And I, okay. and I would stand by that like in a religious sense. Yeah. So I love it. It's a, it's definitely a great perspective. Um, and I didn't ever think of it that way, but that you make a very good case. And, uh, I know how impactful, um, you know, just any sort of, uh, authority figure can be on children, but yeah, sports, sports is, is romantic, man. Sports is, uh, it, it is romantic. It, it is. Yeah. There's so much. That's why, like, you know, we've talked about, me and my wife, oh, you know, should we take the kids out of sports because there's just so much to do all the time and all that stuff. And I'm just like, no, we can't. Like, it is it is such a life Tell me teacher. where else they're going to learn. Tell me where, if you give me one place, I would say you're justified in pulling. Give me one other area of life where they're going to learn. Not be told, learn, because kids observe, mm-hmm. Okay. That's why you can chirp, 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 chirp. But if you're an asshole, your kid's an asshole. Yeah. That's why you can say all the right things. That's why words don't matter. That's why I let my kids swear because words don't matter. Actions do. They observe. Yeah. Tell me one other place in life where they learn that stuff. Where are they going to learn to set goals, overcome adversity? If you think of any, let me know because I haven't been able to. Yeah. There's there's things that will accomplish a few of them, but all encompassing. I agree with you. I don't think there is. I can't think of any. And with that being said, that's why. You are the obvious Hey, we got there, baby. (laughs) We got there. Youth sports coach slash inspiration in the community. Um, Eric Storman. We're just getting started, baby. Just getting started. I can't wait to watch it. And I'll, you know, I'll be there every step of the way with you, man. Uh, If you ever need an assistant, let me know. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You're a big part of this community. Um, 
But for anybody still listening or watching, really appreciate your guys' support as always. Um, you guys give Eric your support. Uh, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal person. Um, always up for meeting, chatting, you know, just talking about life. That's what he loves to do. 24-7. 24-7. And, uh, you know, if you ever go to a, a sporting event in the Blaine area, there's a good chance you're going to see him. So walk up, say hi, get to know him. He's a great guy. And uh, if you guys know anybody else that's an obvious choice in the community, please send them my way. I'd love to talk to them, get to know them. But with that being said, I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thanks again for joining. Thanks for the gifts. You're incredible, man. Thank Appreciate you, sir. you. Thank you, sir. All right. Appreciate it.